Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber, and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of Rasputitsa Radio. Rasputitsa is a wonderful gravel event taking place at Burke in Vermont. Uh, it's one of the most iconic gravel events in New England. Everybody comes from all over the place to participate in this thing. I've had the pleasure of riding in it a few times now. And when they reached out to me to work together on this Rasputitsa Radio segment, I could not have been more excited honored to do it and uh, and I'm thrilled to talk to so many of the guests that we have on this. Here's how it's going to work. Basically, we have a bunch of interviews recorded with different people that are either attending the event, involved in the event, riding in the event, racing in the event. These people are all going to kind of give you their stories, their backgrounds, and they're going to tell you about what makes Rasputitsa special for them and just what their plan is. And then obviously with a few of them, we actually go into like what they run for a bike setup, what they like to ride, what their nutrition schedules like on events like this, what their tire pressure is like. And the goal of this project was to kind of give you some insights behind some of the people that are involved, but also give you something cool to listen to on your way up to the event. If you're looking to get some background or you're having FOMO from not being involved in the event, these are some easy ways to kind of get some insight these interviews are great. All these people that came on, including Meg Owens and Ian Boswell and the whole crew from Rasputitsa that puts on this wonderful event have all came on as well as a couple others. I'm thrilled to bring this to you. So without further ado, welcome to episode one of Rasputitsa Radio. Ian, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, my name is Ian Boswell. I'm 32 years old now. I live in Peachum, Vermont, and used to be a road racer. And for the last, I guess, three years now, three and a half, four years, the pandemic was a gap year. Uh, I have been racing and riding gravel events, mostly in North America, but a little bit around the globe. Nice. What what pushed you to the gravel scene in general? Like, what's different? About, I mean, you're coming from like the world tour, going to like gravel events that you can basically do anything like anybody can participate they're a lot more open format and there's a lot more that kind of goes on in between start to finish that's less in your control i feel like so tell me about the switch up from road racing to gravel yeah well i guess i think we did a podcast back in 2019 or early 2020 yeah, yeah. When I, you know kind of the, you know it kind of was i don't say forced on me but i left road cycling due to kind of some concussions and you know wasn't really sure what level i was going to be able to come back to yeah um, you know, you came to my house, we live at the confluence of five <laughs> dirt roads. Um, so it was pretty easy, you know, once I kind of, you know, was able to ride again and really fell back in love with, with riding my bike, less racing my bike, just riding, um, yeah. you know, a gravel bike and, and, you know, exploring all the gravel roads we have here around my house was just kind of a natural pathway forward if I was going to, you know, continue to ride my bike. Um, but yeah. as I started traveling to more events and stuff, I guess what, kind of was inspiring to me was, you know, obviously going to new places, riding in different areas, but really it opened my eyes to how different people ride bikes, you know, for the longest time in my life, cycling was this very narrow pathway of like elite professional road cycling that to me in my mind, that's what cycling was. And to come to gravel and see people on, you know, all different bikes, all different, you know, abilities, you know, all showing up at the same start line was like, Oh wow. There's a lot of people from different, backgrounds who, you know, who utilize their bike differently than I do, but enjoy it just mm -hmm. as much as I do. And I think that's probably been the most enlightening thing for me to see and to be a part of is just seeing like the wide range of how different people 
ride bikes and, and, and what it brings to them. And I think it all brings us, you know, joy and happiness and it doesn't have to always be fast. It doesn't always have to be a race. Um, but that the bike can bring so many different levels of enjoyment to, to people in different ways. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, like you're located in a perfect area, like with great gravel access, great riding access, basically out your door. What, what makes the Vermont gravel scene different than other places that you go and ride? Oh, I mean, I would say we have the best gravel roads in the world when, <laughs> when they're in prime condition. Um, you know, I've had the chance now to ride my gravel bike, you know, throughout most of the U S and I guess even, you know, internationally and, you know, in, mm-hmm. I guess they're also so good because there's so much of the season that you can't ride them. <laughs> you know, they're either snowy yeah, or they're yeah. muddy. Um, but when they're in good condition, they are so well maintained and there's so many of them, you know, I've been here at this place in Peachum for five years now, and I still find roads all the time, you know, and, and it's just amazing the, the volume of roads, you know, how well they are maintained and also how quiet they are. You know, it's just, it's so easy yeah. to like go for a five hour ride and see, you know, six cars maybe. Um, yeah. you know, I really just fell in love with like, you know, continuing to be able to explore my own backyard. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That's, that's one of the things that makes gravel so fun for me, especially like I'm in Western Mass, but like Western Mass, Western Mass, Vermont, New Hampshire, like all those places, like you go and you ride the gravel roads, you can go hours and hours without really seeing anybody. And I think that part separates New England as a riding destination for gravel, apart from a lot of these other places. Like it's just one, the terrain's different and the season variability is obviously interesting, especially when it comes to like some of these spring events. But it's it's really cool to just be able to go out there and you're truly just like you and whoever you're riding with just out for a ride like and it, it's the simplest form of just grabbing your bike and going in a lot of ways too yeah and i think a lot of people discovered this during the pandemic you know you think a lot of people in, in new england like their big bike trip they wanted to go and ride in the dolomites or the alps or you know go ride yeah. at Majorca in spain and then they all of a sudden were forced to like well i don't i can't go to europe i need to ride in my backyard right and they realize like, oh, wow, like whether you're in, you know, Vermont or Kansas or, you know, Colorado, like like people started discovering all these roads that have been there the whole time, but they never mm-hmm. ventured on because they were on a, you know, a more traditional road bike or they were kind of stuck to a mountain bike. And now with gravel bikes, you can kind of mix all three together. You know, you can do pavement, you can hit a little bit of single track and then you, you know, have endless, you know, throughout the majority of the U.S., you know, logging roads, forest service roads, you know, discontinued roads, you know, it's really kind yeah. of opened up you know, a whole new network of places to ride for so many people. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you some bike kind of tech questions, kind of just general bike questions. If somebody's starting, like they're getting into cycling for the first time, they're getting a bike, what kind of bike do they go and buy? Do they go and buy a mountain bike? Do they go buy a road bike? Do they buy a gravel bike? What in your mind is the most beneficial place for people to start and start building some skills on the bike? I was asked this question the other day, uh, if I had one bike for the rest of my life, what would it be? And it would be a gravel bike. You know, the, the modern gravel bikes, you know, that can take bigger tires, you know, 47 C tire or, you know, 2.1 and, you know, 650 B. Um, they're amazing. You know, you can, you know, if you yeah. buy the right gravel bike, you can do a road race on it. You can do a gravel race. You can, like I said, if you ride the right trails, you can go ride, you know, single track, um, yeah. you know, really if I had one bike for the rest of my life, it'd be a gravel bike, you know, partially because where we live, but partially just because the versatility of it, you know, you really are able to ride so many different surfaces. And I guess, you know, 
the term gravel has kind of like pigeonholed itself. Like, you know, these are, there's a gravel bike and a gravel event. It's really a mixed surface bike and they're mixed surface events. You know, some of them are on all dirt. Some have 50, 50 pavement dirt. Some have, you know, 30% single track, but it's not called a mountain bike race. Um, but they really are, you know, these mixed surface bikes and mixed surface events. Um, you know, just because you can, you can really ride it anywhere. You know, you can, take it through a city park and do loops around, you know, the park and then jump on the road and then jump out to, you know, some County roads. And like, it really just makes where you ride endless. And also you can do it yeah. faster. I guess a mountain bike could do that. Um, but at the same time, you know, yeah. riding a mountain bike up a 10 minute paved climbs, not the most enjoyable either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess my, my answer kind of shifts, I think between a mountain bike and a gravel bike, I think for, for a beginner in my eyes, it's like, some of the best skills that you build on a bike are from riding a mountain bike, right. And stuff that you just kind of pick up as you're doing it, whether it's as simple as shifting gears or like body positioning and all that stuff. Like I think you pick it up on a mountain bike really quickly. So for a beginner, sometimes I lean that direction, but a gravel bike, you can do everything, right? Like if you're only going to buy one bike, sometimes it seems like that's the right answer. Even if, you know, there might be a little bit of gap in the way that you start building some of those skills. Yeah. And I think also, you know, there's so many skills that can be gained just in riding in a group together. And I think that's one thing that, yeah. you know, mountain biking is maybe less conducive. Yes. You might meet some friends at a trailhead and all ride together, but you know, when you're single file, it's more challenging to have a conversation. You know, you're kind of, you know, the, the speed can and ability separates more quickly, but on, on a drop bar bike, you know, when you're on maybe bigger roads, it's easier yeah. to kind of keep that collective, you know, group together and to have people, you know, being able to observe what the people at the front are doing. And, you know, I feel like in a way there's almost a more kind of steady learning curve because you can observe as you're, as yeah. you're riding. You know, if you and yeah, I went mountain point. biking, we'd hit one downhill and you'd be gone. I wouldn't see you until we, <laughs> you know, so we started going uphill again. Uh, but if we're on a ground, yeah, exactly. Ride, and then I get know, smoked. I, yeah. <laughs> that's how it goes man it's 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 really interesting but yeah i guess i kind of lean gravel as well then it's yeah it's just part of it i think the the obvious easy answer the cop-out answer is like just get a bike and whatever bike you get like that's that's what you go and ride and like that's the best bike is the bike you own but um i think people always ask especially like i work in a bike shop every so often now and it's like you have people coming in like looking to just go out and ride. And a lot of times it's like the easy answer is just mountain bikes can be cheap, right? Like you just stick yeah. somebody on a mountain bike and they can go do whatever, like a hardtail kind of does a lot of those same things. But honestly, gravel bikes are getting closer and closer to being like <laughs> the gap has kind of closed a little bit from like what a mountain bike is and what a gravel bike is. Like I think for the most part of this year, like I'll be riding my gravel bike with a flat bar, you know, and it's it's an interesting feeling and i didn't think i was going to make that switch over but it does it does feel different but it also is like it's super versatile yeah well i guess that's the question is like what is a gravel bike you know because like for a long time they were they were road bikes with you know 28 mil tires and then they were cyclocross bikes and like you know the bike that i have this year um the specialized str like it almost is a mount it's got front you know, it's got the future shock on the front and the rear. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's actually got more yeah. travel than my first mountain bike had when I was 14. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, and maybe a good, if you are absolutely new to the sport, you know, even something like a hybrid bike that, you know, has flat, you know, yeah. obviously disc brakes are awesome. Doesn't matter. The gear is going to have plenty of, you know, range on the gearing, but a flat bar, mm-hmm. you know, hybrid commuter bike, like you can, you know, that's a great place to start. And, you know, you can find them, you know, super, super accessible price point for entry, 
you know, and that bike can, can really like decide if you want to, you know, continue on kind of, you know, building out that bike or, you know, it's a good place to start. You know, you can buy one for six, 700 bucks and it's going to be, you know, get you most of the way through, you know, a lot of the events you're going to want to try and roads you're going to want to ride. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, on the tech side of things, let me ask you about two things that people always, always talk about, right? First thing is tire pressure. Um, it's one of the questions that I think I see asked the most, um, especially pre-event, like what should I be running? Like whether it's people's first gravel race or their 20th, like it seems like people still don't have a great answer for like what kind of tire pressure they should be running. Um, and I think especially, uh, obviously it's different event to event and terrain to terrain, but like, do you have a starting place that you know that you like when it comes to tire pressure? Maybe because I came from the road and not from mountain biking. Um, I really don't, I don't say I don't care, but like, I just run my tires yeah. at 45 PSI all the time, which is way too much. And most people tell me it's too much, but like, it's just what I ride and I, and I don't <laughs> pump up my tires very often. Um, but usually I just run them pretty hard at 45 PSI, which is, you know, a lot for gravel. You know, I think a lot of people are running down to like thirties or, you know, 28 PSI sometimes if they've got a bigger tire yeah. on, um, maybe for like some events, if I'm like, you know, for unbound or something that's maybe chunkier, maybe I'll like drop it down to 40 or something. I, I really, you know, I'm not too particular about, it. I don't have one of those little gauges that measures tire pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I pretty much ride the same tire all the time and, you know, seems like, yeah, 40 to 45 PSI for me, obviously weight plays a factor. The size tire plays a factor, but mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I just don't think about it that much, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'd probably have a smoother ride make... if I drop pressure. Yeah. Do you think people make too big a deal out of it? Yeah. And it's funny. It's funny. Cause you know, I just got back from Cape Epic, you know, a long mountain bike race. And it's funny to see that, you know, mountain bikers are always, you know, harping on road cyclists for being too geeky and nerdy. And I'm like, these mountain bikers are way, into their <laughs> you know, like people are like what's like, I never pumped up my suspension was I pumped up my tires when we got to South Africa and I never touched them again. It was like, cool. They have air. Yeah. In them. It was fine yesterday. They didn't leak. They're going to be fine today. You know, and they're, you know, checking their tire pressure on the start line and they got their fork, you know, and shock pump out there. And I'm like, you know what, like maybe if you're really good, it does make a difference. And I think people who, you know, even in, in gravel, like people who are technically savvy, which I'm not, um, you know, maybe they do notice, you know, better traction on lower PSI and, you know, the tires more supple. Mm. I mean, I guess I haven't spent enough time like thinking about it or really worrying about it. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess I also have this like theory that I think more tire pressure to a degree also just prevents flatting. You know, like your sidewall, yeah. any tire is going to be the weakest point. And if you have more pressure in your tire, you're going to keep your sidewall more vertical rather than horizontal. Therefore, like out yeah. of the rocks and, and chunky stuff. Um, yeah. So my theory, I guess, is that like all energy saved through, a, you know, lower PSI and maybe more comfort is lost in one flat tire. You know, you slice your sidewall, like mm. you're going to be spending a lot of time messing around versus like, cool, I'm just going to put a little bit more PSI. Maybe it's a little bit rougher. Maybe it's slower, but. Um, I really just look for like avoidance of mechanical issue. And, and I think that, you know, running slightly higher pressure protects your tire a bit more. Yeah, no, I definitely don't disagree. There's a good point. Like there's a lot of good points there for sure. And I do think people spend a little too much time thinking about it. It's just, I find myself, especially like Overland in particular, like I find myself getting frustrated every year 
because I put too much in. Cause in my head, I'm like, Oh yeah, like it'll be good. Like there's plenty of road, like actual roads that you have to go through. And then like you get through some of that class four stuff and I'm like, dude, fuck all of this. This is the worst. <laughs> like, I'm just like bouncing off of everything. So there is definitely, I think some middle area, but from the protection side of things, I, I think you're hundred percent right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it also, you know, I, I would say if someone's like trying to get really serious about it, like using the tire pressure that also benefits your skills, you know, I mean, yeah you know, like I know that I'm going to make up time on a paved road so I can, you know, maybe run a bit more pressure because that's going to benefit me there and on a rough downhill. Yeah. Maybe if I ran lower pressure, I would be more, you know, capable of following the fast guys. Um, yeah. but they're probably going to drop me anyways. So yeah. <laughs> might as well yeah. not try too much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, let me ask you about gearing and your setup as far as drivetrain goes. Like you see a lot of people running, like mountain bike setups like that are hooked up specifically for gravel or you see like SRAM obviously makes like that explore series stuff. There's whatever people are on stock on their bike. Like, is that something that you pay attention to at all? Like, is there one way or the other that you like to run your drivetrain? Like if you found uh, not necessarily, I don't really care about tooth count because obviously that changes whatever, but like, is there, is there a thought process that goes into what you decide is best for you? when you're deciding whether you're going to run like say like a SRAM mountain bike cassette versus running like a road group set or running a gravel specific group set. Um, there's, I guess, yeah, there's definitely some thought. And for me, it's really just around range. you know, I guess being someone mm -hmm. who's oftentimes at the front end of these races, you know, we are going really fast at times. So you do need, for sure. you do need a big gear. You know, I think at unbound last year, I had a 50 tooth front, you know, I'm always running SRAM one by, I think I had a 50 yep. tooth front ring last year. Um, this year, on uh, the bike that I have that I'll probably race at, at Raspatitsa, it's a 48 up front, which, you know, you mm -hmm. can still run explore, but you know, you're still, you're less than one to one in the back, you know, you're kind of capped out at a 45, you know, so a, yeah. I guess the small, the small gear, you have a 10, you know, a 48, 10, yeah. you're going to go plenty fast on any downhill. Um, but I've actually really loved running the, yeah, the Eagle rear, you know, so a 50, yeah. a 52, you know, mountain bike cassette in the back. Um, just because especially where I live, you know, there's like times when you're just riding back up to my house and I'm like, you know what, I want to put it in the, you know, the 4850 <laughs> just because I need it. I need an easier gear. Um, yeah. So I think for anyone who's like looking at like always having a bailout gear is great. You know, like, yeah, I just and, you know, people, I guess one of the, I guess, developments that kind of brought on the Explore group was like a tighter gear ratio, which I yeah. understand if you're riding maybe in the Midwest and, you know, you need like, you know, one or two tooth kind of differences between gears, but in Vermont, you know, and most of the things I'm riding, it's like, I don't know. I mean, the gradient changed 4% in a hundred meters. You know, I don't notice a yeah. two tooth jump, but I don't care if it's five teeth between, you know, the, yeah. the second and the third, you know, cassette, um, you know, ring, just because, you know, so many things change as well in, in gravel, you're sitting, you're standing, the surface changes, it's muddy, it's sandy. Um, yeah. So I guess what I, I really just look at the top end and the bottom end, you know, do I have enough gear on a fast downhill if it's like a paved descent and do I have mm -hmm. an easy enough gear if there's a super steep, tough climb and, you know, with the, with a mountain bike rear cassette, you kind of have all that and then you can decide what front ring you run. Um, I guess the caveat to that is the Explore group is great if you are running like a 42 or a 44, you know, because you still have a right. one to one in the back. I guess my, you know, thought was like, I needed a bigger gear up front. And so in order to make it, you know, easy in the back, a mountain bike cassette was, you know, kind of a bit more optimal for most of the things I'm doing. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm running something similar. Like I, I think for Vermont, I think for where we are, it makes, it makes a lot of sense because like stuff is super punchy. Like you'll be descending off the back of a ski resort and then all of a sudden, like you're basically going straight up and down, you know, on the climb. It's like that, those two max gears get used a lot more than they do in other places for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look both so. Overland and Rasputitsa, you're doing what, 7,000 feet of climbing and less than yeah. 60 miles. <laughs> you know, you're pretty much yeah, your exactly. biggest gear, your smallest gear for most of the time. Yeah, exactly. It's like a constant up and down. Yeah. Um, let me, let me ask you about the event in particular, like what makes Rasputitsa special for you? Like, why do you like the event? Give me, give me kind of the rundown. Why'd you decide to participate? Well, this will be my second year doing it. Um, you know, it, it's a great event for me just because it is close to home. You know, I, I travel a yeah. lot around, you know, the country and world, you know, riding my bike and going to events. So it's awesome to be able to like ride home roads and, you know, to have my family there and to be able to sleep in my own bed. And I guess, you know, another cool aspect yeah. to it is a lot of people come from out of the area to attend the event. You know, it's so also to mm -hmm. be able to, you know, house friends and kind of show people where I ride, um, you know, is a really cool kind of personal aspect. You know, I think it's also great what Rasputitsa has kind of fostered over, you know, really since its inception of, you know, East Burke in, you know, April is kind of like a dead town. You know, like there's not a lot yeah. going, you know, ski season's over, mountain biking hasn't opened up. So to see that like, you know, 1500 people show up to this town in the Northeast Kingdom and, you know, stick season to ride bikes is, is super cool to see. Like it brings a lot of energy to the community here. Um, you know, and, and just, you know, all the things they've, they've done around the event, you know, with inclusivity and, you know, encouraging people, you know, who maybe aren't racers to attend has been, you know, really cool to see because yeah. they, they've really embraced kind of the... I guess the grassroots side of, of gravel racing kind of where it's come from um, while still, yeah. you know, embracing that people want to go hard and, and race as well. And there's kind of, you know, this full spectrum of, you know, everyone from that first timer to, to an experienced, you know, elite rider um, all on the same start line, which I think is, is really in my pers you know perspective, really the beauty of, of all these gravel events is that you do have this huge range of participants all riding the same course at the same time on the same day in the same conditions. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I think for me, that's one of the things that they do really, really well is making it fun for everybody. Like whether you're dead last and like you're just out on your first event or you're trying to win the long ride. Right. Like I think there's, there's something for everybody at this event. I think a lot of, a lot of places say that and then you show up and it's like, it's clearly guided towards one group of people or another. And I think Respetita does a good job at kind of making everybody feel at home and they make a weekend of it, you know, like it's like you have Friday, you have the party going on at a time, you have a party going after the event. Like it, it just seems like they, they do a good job opening everything up so that no matter who you are, you can show up and have a good time. Even if you're not racing, like you just show up for the weekend. Yeah. And that's really a hard balance to strike. And I actually called Heidi a couple of weeks ago, just about kind of something similar. I guess kind of around the, you know, the people racing, you know, I guess people who, you know, myself and other people kind of like me, um, and it really is a fine balance and something pretty hard to kind of keep. It's hard to keep that balance of like, how do you be an event that, you know, welcomes people who want to, you know, race, you know, tooth and nail to the finish, but also embrace people who, you know, they're happy to do the short ride and they're going to take, you know, three times longer than the person who does the longest course 
as fast as possible. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you create that, you know, sense of everyone feeling welcome at the event? And they've done a really good job of that. And it is a really hard balance to strike because, yeah. you know, you really do have such a wide range of and spectrum of people, which, which is also the, the beauty of it. You know, it's like people think, oh, wow, it's impressive how fast you rode the course. But I'm like, it's impressive. This person was out there for nine hours. Like I wouldn't have done Dude, it. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, I think there's like kind of mutual respect across the board at these events. You know, when you see people admiring how fast people go, but also seeing like the commitment and drive that other people, you know, instill just to get through the course. And I think that's really, yeah. really special and unique to, to events like Rasputitsa. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely. Like sometimes you watch these people go out there for eight, nine, 10 hours. And I'm like, dude, if that was me, I would have quit so long ago. Like I would have bailed yeah. out on the event. Like there's no, I don't have the mental fortitude to be like, I'm here and I'm finishing no matter what. Like I, it would take a lot for me to be out there for that long and, and people do it and they have a good time. Like they show up at the finish line and everybody's still there waiting for them and they're still psyched when they cross. It's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, so. it, I guess one thing I'm looking forward to this year is like hanging out around the finish a bit longer. You know, last year, my daughter was, I guess like six months old um, and yeah. being Vermont in April, you know, it can be cold and windy. And so, you know, we, yeah. we hung around a bit, but then I'm like, Oh, I need to, you know, we had to, we only took one car up and I had to get my daughter back home. Um, you know, so yeah. actually being able to like plan ahead a bit longer, but like, cool. I want to like hang out more at the, at the finish and, you know, go to the, you know, the shakeout ride and on Friday up at, up at dirt church. Um, there's a lot yep. of stuff going on the whole weekend. Like I said, it's, you know, people don't just come up for Saturday morning's race. There's a lot of stuff that goes along around the event as well. Yeah. Last thing I'm going to ask you, I think what, is there anyone that you look at like on the racing side of it that you're like, okay, this is a person to watch that can do really well in this event that I kind of have my eye on. Oh, I haven't looked at the full start list. Um, I know that, I mean, there's always strong people at every event you go to now, you know, whether it's yeah. a small event in Vermont or, you know, a big event in Colorado, but, you know, there's always someone strong, you know, there's, we're incredibly fortunate to have like a really strong contingent of, of riders in, in new England. Um, you know, there's yeah. a gentleman, Mike Barton, who I ride with a lot, you know, he's, he's in his fifties, but like, he's super strong. I think Kyle Murphy's coming up from, from Southern Vermont. Um, Curtis white, who is a pro cyclocross racer will be there. Um, yeah. Chris, Pendergast. I think he was second last year. I think he'll be back, you know, so there's always strong people. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's just kind of, you know, it's the nature of gravel racing today is, you know, there's, there's strong people everywhere who have been putting in the miles to go as fast as they can. Yeah. Since you brought him up, anything to ask Mike, uh, I have Mike on next in about 20 minutes. So anything I should ask Mike about the event? Oh, Mike is like my hero. Um, I ride with him a lot. You know, he's, he's, yeah, I think he's 49, 50 years old now. Um, he yeah. is, I train with him a fair amount just because he like, he's always willing to suffer. You know, he has two twin daughters who are seven or eight now and he's an amazing yeah. dad. Like he still finds the time to like, you know, work and take care of his family. And, you know, he's just an incredibly inspiring, I guess, individual for me, you know, probably more mm -hmm. so than, than a lot of like the pro riders just because, you know, I guess more now than ever my life, you know, I'm following in his footsteps rather than, you know, other pro cyclists, um, yeah. with trying to balance everything. But, uh, to ask Mike, I mean, I guess I would just ask him why he 
what love he still finds in it. You know, it, it just amazes me that someone like, you know, I always think about someone like Mike and like, when am I, fi- when I'm 50 years old, am I going to be doing this? Am I going to be, you know, training in, yeah. you know, the the spring of new England to get ready for Rasputin's. And I tell myself, no, there's no way <laughs> I may be doing it, but it just, it, it's really, you know, it's really cool to me to see what the bike brings to someone like him, you know, who, who kind of started cycling later, you know, he didn't ride, race bikes growing up just how much love he gets out of it and like how much better of a you know person it makes him for every aspect of his life his work his family you know his personal health um it's really cool to been kind of be able to follow along on his journey yeah for sure awesome well ian i appreciate it um we'll see you at the event um thanks again for taking the time absolutely and i will give one piece of final advice people who are up in vermont for raspatiza should stop at uh, Papa Tarosi's in St. Jay has their maple creamy stand open. So it's early for maple creamies, but they are open. And I think Hoagie's in Lindenville as well. So before you jump on 91 to head south, um, stop at yeah, either of those locations to get a maple creamy while, uh, while they're fresh, while they're fresh this spring, because it's, uh, it's early for them, but there are, there are some few and far between. Yeah. And it's a mandatory Vermont stop for sure. Yes. Anna, Josh, why don't you guys start, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we can take it from there. I can go first. Um, (laughs) I am Anna. Um, I am a senior, so I'm a student at Sterling College here in Craftsbury, Vermont. Um, And I am majoring in outdoor education, which is kind of how I got into... um, gear repair, which is what we'll be doing at the Rasputitsa event this year. Again, which we did last year, and it was super fun. Awesome. And Josh, what about you? Yeah, my name is Josh Bossen. I'm a faculty in outdoor education, as well as the Associate Dean of Work and Experiential Learning at Sterling College. Um, And I've been doing gear repair on and off as kind of a side hustle and part of a career for quite a while, and uh, brought that to Sterling students and in turn, Raspatiza was our first big public event last year um, of offering this service to the wider community. Nice. How how did you guys get involved with the event? With the event? So Heidi, one of the event creators, um, founders, and, and operators, she works at Sterling as well. She's our, our marketing person here. Oh, nice. Um, and she kind of found out about what we were doing and was like, this is awesome. I'd love to have you all come up to Raspatiza, maybe sew on some patches um, and just kind of do what you all do, but do it up there. And um, we've been trying to, I've been wanting to get what we were doing on campus to a much larger audience and the Raspatiza has a larger audience. So that was a pretty easy trip. For sure. Um, Anna, how did you get involved with all this? So I um, directly got involved in gear repair and Raspatiza. Um, through a class that I took that Josh actually taught. Um, and that was, oh gosh, three springs ago, I guess now. Um, so the spring of 2021. Um, and it was a class called um, Gear Design and Repair. So in that class, we learned how to repair a bunch of different gear. Um, and also we got to design our own backpacks and um other like pouch bag type things that we can use in our future for all sorts of things. Um, So that was my like formal introduction, but 
gear repairing um, has always been a little bit of my life growing up in the outdoors and um, like my parents and family own an, an independent independent outdoor store in Montana. Um, oh, so helping helping customers fix their gear has always been a little bit of my life anyway. <laughs> <laughs> why why the choice to be in Vermont then? Like I mean obviously for school but like why why is Vermont home at the moment? Yeah, right now it's my home. Um mostly I mean I, there's a few different reasons but when I was looking for colleges I was wanting to go out of state from Montana um, just because I wasn't really looking forward to second high school kind of um, <laughs> atmosphere. So I just wanted to get out of the state and just explore a little bit more because I hadn't done much traveling yet. Um, and Vermont was a new place. The East Coast was a new place for me. Um, and then Sterling itself is such a small school that um, I really, really liked how small and personal everything was. Um, and how small the class sizes are and how much of an opportunity you get every day to continue to build um, relationships with faculty and um, also other students and just create all sorts of different opportunities that you might not get otherwise at a big institution. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Josh, what about you? Like why, why Vermont as a home base for you? Like it, I'm always curious to see why people choose to live in Vermont because it's it's one of a number of different reasons i feel like but some people always feel a certain attachment to the state that they don't necessarily feel in other places so talk to me a little bit about why vermont is home for you yeah no problem um yeah so i i grew up in massachusetts um so i'm a i'm a new england kid at heart but um was much more a suburbs and city environment growing up and then I did my undergrad um, in Northern Vermont, not at Sterling, but at another institution and fell in love. I was like, I can't believe that there's this, that you can have access to this level of nature, the outdoors, the mountains, the snow, all the things that I love, um, but still be in New England. Um, I traveled out West, I've worked out West, I've lived out West and it's awesome. And everything's, you know, big scale, which is great, but you have to travel long distances to get between things. You don't quite fully get the full four seasons or five with mud season here, which obviously Rapsatisa relies on. Um, but for me, that was kind of what I loved is the ability to um, to have it all. That's kind of what like New England is the great and Vermont specifically is the great compromise of that is a little bit of everything. You can still go off and have other adventures, but your own backyard is kind of like has access to everything. You don't have to make compromises. You can do a little bit of it all. Um, and in Northern, Northern Vermont, hit home for me because it was just a lot more like-minded people who saw the same values that I did around putting nature first and like supporting a community. It's kind of funny if you're in a, if you're in a, like when I've lived in more populated areas, you actually get less of a sense of community because there's that um, kind of like mm -hmm. anonymity of being in a big group where no one, you know, people walk by each other and they don't even look at each other. Whereas here, not only do you like stop and wave, you probably like stop and shoot the shit in the middle of the road for an hour yeah. <laughs> block traffic and all that. So I, I think that's, while it can seem like it's, it's more isolating for me, it's actually feels less isolating. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the, one of the things that people always say about Vermont is it's, it feels very homey. It feels like everybody's part of the community, but if you look at it like population wise and even just driving through, <laughs> it doesn't seem that way, but it's actually the reality of the situation versus, 
you know, if you live in a place like Boston or New York or whatever, it's like, yeah, yeah. somebody says hi to you or holds the door for you. It's like, it's a shock to your system. Yeah. yeah. Where in Mass did you grow up? In Sharon, just south okay. of it. It's one of the suburbs of Boston and just south of it. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So you get, I'm actually out in East Hampton right now. So um, that's home base for me. But um, have you guys been to the event prior to working it? No, um, I actually didn't even know what it was or that it existed. And then uh, basically my brother-in-law came up and was visiting. He was like, oh, there's this cool gravel race near you all, but it's super sold out. I'd love to get into it. Do you know anything about it? And I was like, mm, not really. We looked at the website and I realized it was Heidi. And I was like, oh my God, I worked with the person who put this on. I'm sure, I'm sure we could do something. Heidi's so... Um, as I'm sure a lot of people will talk about with her, she's so modest about what she's done and what this event is that literally like eating lunch next to her most days, I didn't even know about it. Um, <laughs> and she was like, oh yeah, absolutely. We can, we can make that happen. And, um, you know, just ex didn't know that I had such a bike interest and I knew she had a background in the bike industry, but I didn't realize that she had her own event. Um, <laughs> so she was just super supportive once we realized we had this like, super strong bike connection that we didn't know about. Um, and, and she was, she was trying to get more of the Sterling students to participate. So that's actually where she came to me with it was like, is there a way we can create some spots and get some students excited to go and, and be a part of the event. Um, and I kind of traded her. I said, come, come talk to one of my, I think it was one of my like program administration mm -hmm. classes or something about what it's like to put on one of these big events and just the logistics of getting, 2000 people all in one day to a place that normally accommodates significantly less and how that all works. So she came and talked to the class and um, blew some minds. And then in exchange, we're like, great, we'll come up and bring what we do to your event. So it was a good trade. Love that. Yeah. She's very like unassuming, almost like very humble. Doesn't like talk about all the things that she's done, but then you, you're around her for like five minutes and you're like, Oh, oh like I understand. I understand <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, very disarming. Um, but it's awesome. That's like, I think that's her whole point, right? Like, the whole thing that I've learned from her is like the way to dismantle some of the problems that come with these super glorified bike races or things of that nature is to try to keep the access for everyone and not make it just for the, the ultra fast and the ultra rich. And somehow she's managed to do that with an event. I think it's just that it's just her, like, they just keep the event, the whole crew of them that put it together, they just keep it like, they're just kids who live in East Burke and hang out there and, and love bikes and love people riding bikes and they, they don't let it get to their head, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. It's one of those events that you show up and there's like a vibe to it that everybody can kind of feel like it's like pulsating off of everybody that attends this thing. Like no one's there. Like there's people sure at the pro level that are taking it pretty serious, but you see people on, you know, riding recumbents and tandem bikes and just there to like hang out like for their first ride ever, or their first gravel ride. And that, that to me yeah. is one of the, the most important things about Rasputita and the, and in general, a lot of gravel events, but I think this one in particular is like, they're, they're for everybody. And I think that that part's a really cool thing. Yeah. I think a lot of them say that they're for everybody. This one you can go to and not feel super intimidated, which is, I don't know how they do that, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah a lot of them do for sure i think there's vermont in particular does a pretty good job like especially because it seems like a lot of them work together really well yeah. of like kind of checking that vibe a little bit but yeah it for sure this is the one that like if you're gonna go and do your first gravel ride or gravel race this is kind of the place to do it yeah um was anything surprising 
to you guys when you showed up for the first time? The only thing that I can think of that was sort of a surprise, um, more of just a didn't really know what to expect kind of a thing, but just the amount of repairs that people brought with them <laughs> um, to the like welcome party for the Rasputitsa. Um, things that they were like, I don't even know if this can be fixed. And then we're totally fixable in five minutes. Um, so it was very cool to like see all sorts of people and then their reactions um, was just like, didn't really know what to expect, but everybody was just so, so excited to have us there um, and to have us be a part of the event. Yeah, for sure. What, so what exactly someone brings in a piece of, like, what are you guys fixing? What is your limitations on this kind of stuff? What, what can people expect if they're rolling in for the weekend? Yeah. So, um, basically we will try to fix anything that comes our way. Um, but the general vibe is that it needs to be outdoor gear. We're not patching, you know, the 25 holes and, and Carhartt, uh, <laughs> blown out knees and things. We just wouldn't have time to get to everybody. So we try to spread the wealth basically. So we try to do as many repairs for as many people as we can. Um, but people are welcome to bring more than one thing. We, we love to take a look at stuff. What we found is just bring it. If you're unsure, just bring the thing and we'll take a look at it. Cause more likely than not, we can fix it. But typically we're looking at things like. If you got a busted zipper where like the you try to zip it up and it kind of just separates on you, that kind of thing we can definitely take a look at and usually fix. Um, you know, puffy coats and nylon things with holes or, and um, down coming out of them, things like that we'll fix. Um, lots of blown out seams. Last year we had a couple fun like last second fixes for people who were like going to use the thing the next morning. So like bibs <laughs> where the where the bib strap had kind of come unattached from the bike shorts. We can sew that back on. Um, we had another person It was cold that last year. So we had a person who was going to start with gloves, but they had so much sweat on their gloves that it mm. corroded the zipper. So we can, <laughs> we can fix corrosion. We've got things for that. Mm -hmm. um, and we had another person who had a little bit of like a helmet strap buckle issue that we could do on the spot. So yeah, I think we'll do, we'll do quick on the fly jobs, but uh, mostly it's going to be for us. It, it typically is like buckles, zippers, blown seams and sticky patches. Yeah. Was it surprising to you at all, Josh, that like people just showed up with this stuff, like ready to go, like on the day before an event, especially when people are like, Oh, I want to use it tomorrow. Yeah. That was kind of fun. Well, I mean, a couple of them had broken stuff like on their shakeout ride, like right. they got out there, went for the ride and we're in like a total panic of how they were going to, they didn't have a backup set. It wasn't like they were planning on getting a repair. So that, that's kind of the fun ones where somebody wasn't planning to use us. And then like one person saw us was like, how much longer are you here? I'm going to run back to my car, get the thing that I was totally panicking about. So that's kind of a nice little perk is being able to help with those last second jitter issues that sometimes happen at big events. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, mostly people are just really excited to see that we're there, that we're fixing stuff instead of getting things thrown away. I mean, the extending the life of things is, is pretty remarkable just by doing, you know, a single repair to something. And if you use it for another six months, you've basically diverted a significant portion of landfill and carbon offset from not having to get a new product made that much sooner. Um, so anytime you can extend something, it's better. And with that event, we're able to do it for a large number of people in just a couple hours. typically. Yeah. Anything that you guys learned from last year's event that you're bringing to this year? Yes. The biggest thing is we were overwhelmed by how much people were excited about it. And now that it's happened before, there's going to be that many more people. Um, so we're kind of planning for a little bit of growth. Um, and Heidi wants to 
to see what we're capable of. So we're going <laughs> to, we worked out a plan this year where we're actually going to do it uh, the night before and the day of. So we'll do intake during the kind of big welcome party. And when people are getting bibs and roster check-in and all that, we'll, um, we'll do intake that night. We're going to stay up in the area overnight. And then in the morning, we'll set one person up to do intake for anybody who's just coming up day of. And then while the race is happening, we'll set up at the finish line and be fixing stuff while everybody's racing. And then you can come across the finish line and mm-hmm. jump right into whatever we fix. So it should be kind of fun for us because we'll have it. We'll be able to like hang out and be a part of the event. Whereas last year it was kind of just heads down working really fast and people trying to get to the party and other things. Mm-hmm. So this year I think we'll be, we'll be able to kind of enjoy and hang out with people more the night before, take a bunch of stuff in, have a good plan. And then the next morning we can, um, kind of set up shop near the finish line and people will actually be able to come by and see what it looks like after they're done racing while they're waiting for their friends and things like that. Yeah. That was kind of one of, one of my next questions was like, is it overwhelming to like have all this stuff like come in all at once and you're just like, Oh shit. Like, okay. I actually have to <laughs> have to make this work as best as I can right now. Yeah. Anna, you can speak to that. I, I'm So I usually am the one who does the intake and like problem solving like, this is what it is. And then I just, throw a giant pile of it on Anna and (laughs) you can probably speak more to what that part's like. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, receiving end of the pile is definitely sometimes overwhelming, um, but it's also very exciting and fun to work on different projects and problems um, because like, I feel like every single repair that I do is a different problem. um, And it's like very fun and exciting for my brain to work on them. Um, It's also like very visually appealing to see something that has been repaired. Um, so I think the gratification at the end is worth all of the stress and <laughs> everything as the pile keeps growing. <laughs> the, the the fun thing is like watching somebody come back to pick up their thing after we fixed it. And they're like, this is amazing. It, it, they've got so much sentimental attachment to it. It's their favorite X, Y, or Z. They've used it forever. And they're like, this is amazing. Who fixed it? And I like point them to whoever did it. And they're like, run over, give them a hug. And they're so happy <laughs> to appreciative of it. So that's kind of fun is there's a lot of, there's so much personal story in physical mm-hmm. items that we don't think about, but at those events, you can really tell that like, it's, yeah, yeah it's got more than just the jacket kind of meaning to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think especially in cycling where like people find a, it's really hard to find gear that you actually really like. So once yeah. you find something that you do enjoy, and I guess in the outdoors in general, like you want to keep it for like, I have so many puffies with like 20 patches <laughs> stuck to them because I'm like, I like this. I don't want to go buy another one. I don't want to have to go through that process again. Yeah. It's not about the money. It's about like, I have one that I really like. Yep. Yeah. The cycling industry is full of that. So for sure, we definitely get people who are like, I know this thing's threadbare, but do whatever you can. I've got to keep using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, well, that's pretty much all I have for you guys. Where where can people find you all? One at the event, but also online if they want to get more information on what you do, if they want to support. How do they do that? So um, there's some stuff on the Sterling website um, when we have new classes or opportunities there. For just general, like where are we going to be next? And like, oh, I want to reach out to you with a specific question. Um, I have an Instagram that's Gear Repair Guru. Um, that we kind of field everything through there. We always make sure any events get posted through there, whether they're just me on my own or us at Sterling College, but anything to do with it will will be shared there. Um, and that's where folks can reach us. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you.
Meg. Tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of take it from there. Cool. Um, my name is Megan Owens, and I uh, race bikes occasionally. Uh, okay. It's not my <laughs> full-time job, but uh, as much as I would love it to be my full-time job. Um, but I race for two teams. I race for Velocio Exploro, which is a professional women's gravel team. And then I race cyclocross professionally for Richard Sachs. Um, awesome. When when the gravel scene is kind of slowed down in the fall. Can we, um, and I'm from Vermont, so. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, can we just touch on that part a little bit before we get too, too deep here? What I think a lot of people look at gravel bikes as a transition or a very close relative to a cyclocross bike. And a lot of people even seem to think that they're the exact same thing. So talk to me a little bit about what what's different for you, why there actually is a different in, at least from the gear perspective, obviously course perspective, like totally different, totally different event. Actually probably couldn't be that much different in terms of it being like a spectator sport. But um, what's the difference in the gear that you're running? So it's funny you say that because when I first started racing gravel, Rasputitsa was actually one of my first races um, and I actually did it on a cross bike. So I think that for me, you know, the like gearing is different in terms of like the like gear ratios um, and then, you know, tire choice and all that like fun stuff is, is um, different that way. But I think like this, the like structure and the vibe of cross versus gravel has always been really similar to me. So although like my equipment changes back and forth, like the root of why I started racing gravel was in cyclocross. Like I just took my cross bike and like went out and, and did a road ride on it. And it just so happened right. that that year Rasputitsa actually ended with a gravel, like a, or a, a cross course. Uh, yeah. at the end and so for me it was like oh this is perfect I already have my cross bike and I'll just finish <laughs> up my gravel race <laughs> you know hopping over barriers and <laughs> running up this muddy hill so um you know I, I don't know I, I think that there's that debate of like oh they're different and um I don't know to me they're very similar so I feel like yeah I feel like it's the same <laughs> fitness wise is there anything different that you do when you're prepping for because obviously the predominantly gravel races are taking place like spring, summer, sometimes fall. Like there's quite a few in the fall too, but cross seasons yeah. in the fall and definitely a different style of event. So is there anything fitness wise that you're focusing on as you lead in a cross season versus leading in a gravel? Yeah. I think one of the hard things about coming off of gravel into cross is that you have a lot of like base in your legs and a lot of miles and it's definitely more endurance focused versus cross, you know, you're only on course for an hour and you're going hard yeah. for, you know, just that set amount of time. So I think the transition is always really hard for me. Um, but in terms of training, I, I like to keep it fun. So I think it's like, you know, whatever I feel like doing, I'll, I'll do. And whether it's like intervals um, leading from, you know, doing more like endurance intensity for gravel going into cross, then I'll do that. Or if I'm like, well, I just kind of want to run, I'll just run or ski or, you know, whatever it ends up being. So, yeah. yeah. What you mentioned wanting to make this like you'd like to make this a full time job. What what's the difference for you? Like, do you think is the difference really be between like doing it as a full time gig 
and doing it how you're doing it now, which is like splitting time between like a real job and racing bikes. I always wonder if people like if as soon as they start taking it as a full time job, it becomes obviously a little more serious, but it also becomes a thing where you need to make sure you're paying your bills on it. Like what is there a part of you that's happy that you're doing it the way that you're doing it? Or is there like the main goal would be to be like full time professional? You know, I think for me, like cycling has always just been fun. Um, And I think my fear would be if I were to do it full time that I wouldn't enjoy it as much as I do now. Um, And and I have the kind of personality where I like being busy. So for me, like fitting training into something else, whether it's, you know, what I do now or, um, you know, like being in school, uh, I've always liked that. Um, like fitting as much as I possibly can into my day and, and doing it efficiently. But I think like finding a way to train um, and maintain life outside of training, uh, yeah. I think it's been, been really, I don't know. I like to stay busy. So I find that like if I can juggle more things and, and try to do them all well, then that makes me happy. And I think if I were to, just focus on cycling um that i would want to i would want to do something more i don't know yeah for sure what what do you do full-time um right now it's kind of like a mix of things so i'm in grad school uh studying genetics and then um, i also work part-time in women's health in obstetrics uh at a clinic so okay kind of like split between three different things how how does the school part go with training and mixing all this? I know you said you like to be busy, but like, is does it feel like a lot some days, or is it just like you're happy? Oh, to just yeah. run, run, run. Okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, to- I'm not a robot. I feel like yeah. I, even today I'm like I'm so tired today. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a lot of early mornings. Um, you know, before you know, 9am or 8am when my first class starts, it's like getting up and getting on the trainer or getting up and trying to go ski or, you know, getting up and trying to go for a quick run. Um, And then, you know, being at work all day, sometimes, you know, with school or, you know, working in healthcare, like I don't get out until 7pm at night. Yeah. So then it kind of turns into, well, how can I train in, in the evenings as well? So Right. For cross season or even for gravel, what, what it's morphed into is like trying to do two smaller workouts, one in the morning and then one again in the evening, um, you know, to still get that like block of training time. But unfortunately, right. like the way life is, I just can't do it all at once. Right. So um, splitting it up has been kind of helpful. for me. Right. For sure. I yeah, that balancing act has got to be difficult and it's got to be like the physical aspect of it, I imagine is, is a nice relief in some ways, but it's also like filling up so much of your time where like your, your whole day is basically time blocked out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I like that you brought that up because it is like such a nice, like mental relief of like you do being in school and then also working in in a clinic, like you're doing a lot of, you're doing a lot of doing a lot of thinking all day. Um, and so to be able to like get on the bike or go out for a run and just like kind of dissociate and not think is really nice too. But, you know, then you throw in like the sprinkles of intervals that so you have to be like on it and, you know, looking at your device makes sure you're hitting your numbers the way you want to. So 
Yeah. It's uh it can be tricky too. Yeah, for sure. On the gravel side of things, when you mentioned skiing and I guess right now is especially in New England is like transitional season where everybody's like not sure what to do with themselves, whether they're skiing mm-hmm. or riding bike, like it's a little too wet at least where I am to ride bikes consistently, but it's also like it was snowing like two weeks ago, heavy and who knows what we're going to get over the next few weeks. So what, what does that switch look like for you when you're coming from doing things like skiing all winter to kind of going over into like preparing yourself for gravel? Mm -hmm. I think again, it's like all back to balance and, and for me, it's like, I don't have a set, training plan necessarily I don't have a coach you know my my brothers were a longtime cyclist so they helped me and give me input and then I kind of do it myself but um the transition I think is a lot of just like flexibility of like you know if it's snowing one day then go ski or if it's warm and sunny and there's no snow on the roads then go ride or you know go for a run and I think given like trying to balance career and cycling like that is really important and just like you know, making sure that you're getting out and doing something, but, you know, not beating yourself up if you can't, you know, ride for three hours every day or, you know, ride yeah. for two hours because it's snowing. And, yeah. And, you know, the approaching like the early season races is always interesting of like, you know, you really haven't been riding as much as, you know, folks who live in warmer climates. But I think like, I don't know, just bringing that like positive attitude of like, yeah, but you have been doing things, right? Like right. skiing is still a workout and like running is still a workout. And although it's not like miles in your legs, it's still, you know, getting you somewhere. Right. So. Yeah. It still kind of does the job. Do you, yeah. this is a conversation I have with people all the time because I, all of my friends move out West or I have a t- like I have a bunch of friends that were New Englanders and now have decided to move out that way. Is that a thought for you? Like, are you happy living in Vermont? Like, do you like the seasonality of it? Do you like, it's just, and I think this goes both ways on the cycling side of things because in like Vermont has a huge budding gravel scene, like, and it's where some of the best dirt roads are in the country. Some of the best riding is in the country is in New England, but there's also that other part to it where like, it's gross for (laughs) for six months of the year. (laughs) So is, do you want to move out West? Like what, have you had that conversation with yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm from Vermont. So for me, it's like hearing that question, it's like fork in the road where it's like, I love the state that I live in and, you know, I love the ability to experience all these seasons and whether they're good or bad, rainy, snowy, foliage, you know, it kind of throws everything at you. So, you know, in that respect, like Vermont is home and I love, you know, all that it throws at you. Uh, But, you know, there's this part of me that's like, oh, well, if I lived somewhere warmer where there was no snow, uh, I could train a lot more and, and um, I don't know, but I think I would miss Vermont. I think that's like the crux of the question is like, I don't know, I think about moving, but I love what Vermont has to offer in the community. And, and like you said, our, our gravel scene is really growing and we're really fortunate to have um, a lot of quiet gravel roads to enjoy. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah i i've been very stubborn about this like everybody's like just move out west like because all winter i feel like all mm -hmm. i do is complain about the fact that there's no snow and yeah i i like that aspect of it almost it's like the feast or famine thing is is really nice because mm -hmm. when you get the good days they're really good and yeah they're a lot good. of days yeah. are really yeah like a lot of the days are not what you want them to be from the snow side mm -hmm. of things but the summer is great and like i don't know the changing of the seasons is a really it's a nice thing for me it gives me a good break from like feeling like i'm running around from ski to bike all the time yeah yeah um can i ask you some kind of technical bike things like a big topic for gravel in general is tire pressure it is like the number one thing I think that people ask me about is like, what do I run tires at? Like what, what makes sense? Because like, it's still, since it's somewhat newer to the scene, I feel like mountain bikes, everybody has kind of gotten used to, okay, like I'm running 20 to 24 PSI, depending on what I'm riding. Right. Like I think mm -hmm. for gravel, people are still a little out to lunch on it because they're splitting so much time between being on like actual road asphalt dirt roads and then like some of the class four stuff that exists in vermont too like so what what are you running at an event like rasputitsa i see i'm probably the wrong person to ask this question <laughs> <laughs> um because i prefer more tire pressure versus less and that's such an unpopular opinion and yeah. i think it's because i coming from cross, it's like you always want to run, you know, as low tire pressure as you possibly can and really like feel the roots against uh, the rim of your wheel. But to me, when I'm like riding on gravel, riding on roads, I like something that um, I'm not going to feel like a, um, a bounce to it. Yeah. So I think like, I don't know, I, I probably run like between 30 to 35. Uh, depending on, you know, whether it's going to be like wet or if it's like a, a drier course. Yeah. Um, but again, like my preference, I think is just kind of unique. I, I do know a lot of people who run, you know, a lot lower than that, just, you know, but when they get to the class four technical sections, they feel like they can have a little bit more grip. Um, but yeah. Yeah. What, what do you carry on you during an event? That's, that's another thing that I think people are constantly asking about mm -hmm. on the nutrition side. Like if it's a, yeah. and how much does that change if it's a three hour event or a five hour event or longer, you know? Yeah. Um, so for me, I like to have at least like three hour event, you know, for me, I'll do at least two bottles, um, with drink mix in both. Um, and then what I carry on my person in terms of like food, that really varies on the distance of the race, but also kind of what I'm feeling that day. Um, I'm the kind of person who will eat gummy worms on the bike uh, <laughs> and like sweet candy and that'll be great for me. Um, but also like keeping something savory. So um, recently I've started to do uh, like baked potatoes uh, okay. on the bike, just like chopped up, uh, to pair with my, uh, sweet gummy worms, <laughs> which <laughs> probably sounds really gross. Um, but I like the salty. So just like having something savory and salty, uh, you know, to juxtapose, like eating a bunch of sugar all the time yeah. has been really helpful for me. And, and I like just eating like real food on the bike. So, you know, like the potatoes, the gummy worms, 
um, if you can count that as real food. <laughs> and um, just like an oat bar, like a Bobo's oat bar, like something with like sustenance. Um, yeah. And that's really what I've been trying to, to do. And then, you know, I've raced races like Unbound where you're out there for 200 miles and, you know, yeah. after a certain point, like nothing nothing tastes good anymore so <laughs> it's really like whatever you can put in your body to keep you pedaling is yeah. what you're gonna eat so. yeah for sure are you are you um, good yeah. at nutrition on the bike like are you like I, i'm horrible at it and that's why i like i feel like i only end up eating when it's too far gone you know like i'm, yeah. I'm completely oh, yeah. smoked and then i pull it out yeah that's me and and i've had to like set little like reminders on my wahoo to be like okay time to eat like yeah. you should eat something now <laughs> yeah. um and it doesn't really help me that often but you know they're it's nice to have the little beep to like remind you to to keep going um yeah. but and then you know outside of nutrition i think i always like to have you know you know your general like tubes co2s pump um, I carry contacts with me because occasionally, like if it's a dry race, my contacts will, you know, fly out of my eyes and, uh, you know, need to be able to see you when you're riding. So having like those kind of like extra emergency items is something that I always try to carry on myself yeah. now. And but. not, not running glasses, like not running like prescription eyewear. Like, is that a personal choice? Do you not like it? Like, cause I see a bunch of people riding, especially on gravel races, like people are running prescription stuff all the time. Uh, personal choice. I think I, you know, contacts are just so easy for me and they're like part of my day-to-day -day routine. And, um, I prefer to wear sunglasses just to help with like the glare and, and especially yeah. when you're in, you know, class four scenarios where you have like things flying up and hitting your face or, you know, um, going in between like being in the, you know, like a shadow or, a you know, a shadowy like wood section versus like out yeah. in the middle of uh the road it just is helpful to have that yeah is there is there something that you do to your bike or your setup that is personal to you like i find a lot of people end up doing stuff whether it's setup wise fit wise or even just like putting small things on their bike that kind of like set as a reminder for them like is there anything that you do to kind of like that you make sure that you have one way or the other on your bike oh that's a good question um on my bike and it's worth noting too like your two bikes are very different from each other like the richard Sachs bike and the three t are like very very different styles of yeah. bike too so like <laughs> i guess i'm wondering like how you make those feel consistent and homey enough I mean, the sports themselves are so different that I think, you know, you get on one and it, it, it's for me, it's OK that it feels completely different from the other because okay. what I'm doing with it is different. Um, but I will say that, like, I like to ride a little bit wider of a bar. Um, and I think that's something that I have kept consistent between both bikes just because I like the way it, it handles a little bit better in um, like class four scenarios, having that like yeah. width has been helpful for me um other than that like between my two bikes i can't think of anything that's incredibly similar um okay. and it's it's so lame i don't have any cool like stickers on my bike on the top <laughs> tube saying like 
pedal or like anything <laughs> cool like that. It's like, I don't know if putting pedal like, on your top two makes it cool. <laughs> I don't know. They're just like very neutral bikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's really funny. Can I, <laughs> let me ask you about Little Bella's. Um, oh, yeah. What, yeah. what is Little Bella's? Like, tell people a little bit about what the program is and how you've been involved. Because I think you've been involved for six years, something like that now. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, so Little Bella's is a mountain bike program started by Leah Davidson. Um, and she's actually a Vermonter as well. So uh, I didn't join until I was in college just as as a mentor, but really the goal is just to help get more girls on bikes, interested in cycling, like com completely separate from the race scene. Like the goal of the program is not to turn these girls into racers. Um, yeah. It's really just to get them excited about pedaling and, um, you know, meeting new people and, you know, finding new ways to enjoy being outside. Um, yeah. And for me, I've been, part of the Williston Vermont chapter as a mentor for a few years now. Um, and I help with the older, the older age group. So 11 and up are the girls okay. that I mentor. And um, honestly, I love it. I love it so much. I, <laughs> the, the, the program wasn't around or it, it, yeah, I don't even think it was around when I was a kid. Um, and so to see like girls this age really excited about biking and um, excited about like learning new techniques and um, pushing themselves and encouraging others. Like I wish that this was something that I had gotten into when I was younger um, and to yeah. be able to like help them experience that and um, like mentor them in that way has just been really, I don't know, really rewarding well, for me. So, I knew you were going to say that rewarding is like the, the one word that everybody uses every time that they talk about like a program that they work with. So what can you expand on that yeah. a little? Like, what do you get out of it? Like personally that you're like, okay, this is actually really good for me. Cause in other sports, whenever somebody's coaching or teaching, they always mm -hmm. talk about like, okay, this actually helps me mentally, but it also helps me see things like a little, like it almost sharpens some of those skills that you don't necessarily think about either way. And obviously mm -hmm. like this is mm -hmm. a younger age group, but what do you take out of it personally? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, for me, it's like, yes, I get to like go out and ride my bike. Um, and, and that's always fun and, uh, you know, um, a, a great reward. Right. But I think little Bella's really has like, how do I put this? Um, I'm able to like experience their joy. Like it's reflected back on me, I guess, in a way. And it brings me a lot of like positivity to, it brings a lot of positivity to my life, just seeing them happy. And and I think like the cycling community is so special and that I see this in a lot of different ways too, where it's like, you know, you lead, you know, drop rides for the community and, um, seeing other people excited about something that makes you excited, I think is really like the crux of it. Like seeing young girls excited about riding their bikes and, you know, excited when they like go across this scary bridge for the first time. And like, I remember that that bridge also used to scare me. So yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, and I felt like the same like joy and emotion of like when I 
also went over that bridge for the first time and felt really proud of myself. I think that's something that like experiencing as a mentor is really special. Um, and like brings me back to being a new rider and um, experiencing a lot of things for the first time, whether it's like my first race or, you know, my first time mountain biking with my family or, you know, my first time joining a group ride, like all of these things that can be really scary um, when you overcome them and you kind of like get to the other side and see how like fun and exciting it is. Like that's really what, what I love about being a mentor. Yeah, for sure. Let, so this is kind of going to be one of the last things I ask you about what, what makes Rasputitsa special for you? It's, it's one of my favorite events of the year. And I think just the, for lack of a better way of saying it, like it, it just feels different. There's definitely a certain vibe that I think that event puts out. And, and a lot of the Vermont events are, are sort of similar in that way, but what do you like so much about that event? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it was one of the first gravel events that I, that I was a part of. Um, and like I had said earlier, just did it on my cross bike and, um, was very like casual about it. Uh, and I think I didn't really know what gravel was about then. And so for me, it was like, oh, you go to a race and you do the race and then you leave and, uh, you don't see the people again and you know you look at your result on the list and and that's it right uh yeah. but i think recipes itself was like this event and you know you finished the race and you sat by the fire and you had a meal and you talked to the person next to you and you know you watched as other riders came through the finish line and cheered them on and um i think that like community that rest pizza and that gravel the like evolving gravel scene was putting together was something that was so new and so special and i think has really evolved into something great over time now that the race has been going on for a few years and you know gravel has expanded from you know something that we do in vermont or do elsewhere into like these larger events with a lot of people coming from you know different areas of the world to do it so i mean i think just like the community aspect of it is something that uh, is really special. Yeah, for sure. Is there, it's one of those events. And one of the things that I like about gravel, a lot of gravel events in general is the fact that everybody, like, obviously there's a longer course, there's more to a course at like the pro levels, but you see all types of people at these events and everybody like going out and having a good time, whether it's like mm -hmm. the, 40k version of it or it's the 100k like there's so much variety in the type of people that yeah. show up to these things and like last year I saw a bunch of people riding tandems you know at the race and you're just like yeah it's crazy that this person is doing a lot of the same things that the pros are doing and they're having yeah. just as good of a time and there's no like real pressure to finish at this time or that time like everybody it, it almost seems like one big group ride for a lot of people like obviously at the top end there's there's goals to go and finish like mm -hmm. at a certain level or the podium or whatever. But how does that part feel on the pro side, like looking at like all the different people that are going into this thing? I honestly, I love it. I, I've seen it from like both angles where like I've had some like bad luck in races and, you know, um, whether it's like a mechanical and, um, or I've lost my contacts a few times. Uh, and and then you're, you know, not where you 
thought you were at the front of the race, but you have like this amazing opportunity to um, meet people who are out there just riding and, you know, brought their family, brought their friends or doing it for fun. And, and, and that, that part of gravel, I think is one of my favorites is like, even as a quote, quote, like pro, I still love like going and chatting with people all day and like stopping at the aid stations and, you know, talking to the person next to me and asking them like what grilled cheese flavor they're going to pick up and eat before they <laughs> keep pedaling for 25 miles. Right. Uh, and I think that's something that's, that's really special about gravel that you don't necessarily get in like a road, a road race where, you know, you get dropped and you're all by yourself, right. For the next, 30 miles or however long you have to go until the like next race catches up to you. Right. Like this gravel is definitely more about like the community of people. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's so special to be able to see, to see that. And, and I think that like, you know, you enter an event like Rasputitsa and, and to say that like the pros at the front are, going faster and it, it's harder for them versus like the person who's at the back of the race. Like, I think that's just such a, a misconception is like everyone is out there going their hardest and like accomplishing the goals that they set forth for themselves. And, you know, although one person is doing their goals faster than the person in the back, like they're both equally as hard. And um, yeah. I think that again, is like something that like gravel really brings to everyone is like you, can set these amazing goals for yourself and like see them through and you know whether you're doing it on a tandem race with your best friend or you know at the front you know by yourself i think it's really special yeah for sure uh last thing i'll ask you if somebody's starting riding a bike for the first time tomorrow what category of riding a bike and i know the easy answer is like uh, everybody should just start riding a bike and then go from there but like if they're starting riding road mountain or gravel like what what do you think has the biggest benefit to people as they get into the sport for the first time in terms of like which discipline yeah which discipline is most helpful like because most people aren't going out and buying multiple different kinds of bikes right they're buying one thing they're starting to get into it they're starting to build skills so in your head, what is like the most beneficial place for people to start? And obviously people can do what they want. If they're really into road cycling, do that. Cool. But I think if people are looking for a way to build the skills so that they can just become a better cyclist, is there one that you have in your mm -hmm. mind? I mean, that's tough. So I think that like, I mean, gravel maybe comes to mind first. Uh, when I think of like all the disciplines only because you get a little bit of everything, right? You have the um, road aspect of it, riding on the gravel roads. You have the more like mountain bikey cross aspect if you're able to ride on, you know, class four roads. Um, so I think gravel really encompasses a lot of different facets of the other disciplines that like if you were to start with gravel and then decide, you know, where you wanted to go from there, I think it would be um you know a little bit easier to do that but if you're just looking to like purely improve your technical skills then maybe my second choice would probably be mountain biking um, yeah because i think you can benefit a lot from being like technically skilled yeah. um in a gravel event 
just by having mountain biked before um, versus like, uh, you know, just excelling on like the road or like pure power portion of things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For, for me, it's my easy answer has always been mountain bike just because like, I think so many of the skills are transferable and you see like, even on the world tour scene, you see like Tom Pitcock, like some, like the way that he's able to corner oh, the way yeah. that he can corner. Right? Like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, it comes so from cool. the mountain bike side and a lot of things. It's insane. And yeah. that's always my go-to, but now that gravel is becoming more and more popular, I I've been leaning that way a little more lately as well, because I, mm-hmm. I run a ski and bike shop. Right. Like, so like on the side, like I'm trying to set people up with their first bike and during COVID you were seeing so many people get into the sport and you're trying at least in my mind, it was like, how do you, how do we get people into the sport and make them stay in the sport? Right. And actually make them enjoy it. Cause so many people were just buying bikes to buy a bike. Right. It was like, like everything else. I think people were just trying to like find a new way to get outside. And now you're starting to see a lot of those people either fall off or get really into it. So I, yeah, I always am looking for kind of some insight on like what works for people and, you know, and kind of what's going to be the best way to build skills in that department. Megan, thank you for the time. This has been great. Um, if people are sitting in their cars right now or on the internet, just looking for a way to connect with you, what's the best way for people to reach out for people to follow you on social? Like what's, what's that situation like? Um, probably Instagram. Um, so my Instagram is at Megan underscore underscore Owen. Um, yeah. That's where they can get you. Awesome. That's where you can get me. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. <laughs> Mike, tell people who you are. Tell them a little bit about yourself, and then we can take it from there. Hi, I'm Mike Barton uh, from Hanover, New Hampshire. Uh, full-time uh, 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 worker, uh, working an engineering firm in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire. Uh, Criari, um, I'm a principal investigator on, gosh, at least five or six um, projects, biomedical devices and uh, aircraft carrier stuff. I've got twin nine-year-old uh, girls and a very supportive and loving wife. <laughs> awesome. And an avid cyclist. And I'm an avid cyclist. Awesome. Uh, my first question, I think, is how how did you get into the gravel side of riding bikes? I think it's always interesting to see how people make that switch. Yeah. So uh, I'm a non-traditional person. And so I didn't do any exercise until I was 25. Um, I raced cars before that, stock cars. And then uh, eventually found my way to the bike and um, road bike to start with, mountain bike, and then obviously living in New Hampshire, uh, we have a lot more dirt roads, same as Vermont, then we have uh, tarp paved roads. So eventually we started venturing off on dirt roads and at the time it was with really poor equipment. And then uh, what, in the last five, six, seven, eight years, um, the equipment has caught up to our um, our riding and now we have these great bikes and we're riding on all sorts of crazy terrain now, and it's uh, it's really fun. So I'm guessing, what, seven or eight years ago, I started um, really kind of doing more of the, you know, the, the gravel off-road events. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's funny. It's similar to, like, ski touring, where stuff was very primitive for a while, and then all of a sudden, like, the equipment got better, and everybody got into it kind of all at once. It's funny you mention that. I did that this winter. My wife and I bought each other AT touring equipment, it's crazy how good the equipment is. And it's like when we go to the ski area, when you, you know, you drive on the highway and you see a, a Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, if, you, if you drive when you see lots of them. And then I go to the ski area and I swear there's so many people doing the uphill 
uh, yeah. touring stuff now. It's, it's pretty cool to see, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome to see people just getting out and, like, making it work, right? Because some people just go out in the morning and they, like, that's their routine. That's one of the nice things about riding bikes is, like, yeah, you have a full work day, but you squeeze in a ride in the morning and get a ride in maybe in the afternoon. And, like, it, it fits in people's schedules a lot better than skiing does. Totally. And for a long time, I was a real commuter. I actually, um, my kids growing up, when they were really little, I'd put them in a chariot. Um, and I'd go for a ride. It was like a triple win. You know, I'd get exercise. The girls would nap. <laughs> my wife would get a break. And then I, yeah, we, then we upgraded to uh, the double tandem. I've got a fat bike with double tandem and we'd ride there and, you know, we'd do 1300 miles a year and then, uh, commute awesome. to work, um, would be another you know way to pack, pack in the, the training and lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What your kids like it. They enjoy it. Yeah. You know, they, they like, um, riding with me. They ride a little bit on the road. They did Little Bellas last year, and they liked it. That's a Little Bellas, a mountain bike, yeah, um, thing for girls, and uh, they really like that. Um, but you know, we don't. I don't push them into it. They just they go. They ride when they want to. And truth be told, they want to. I think be runners like mom. So um. <laughs> that's awesome. Good for them. Um, let me ask you about your riding. Like how how much riding are you doing? Like what what does your training schedule look like how do you pre- prepare for doing some of these events like Raspititsa? yeah so last year um and i've been riding for what 20 years now last year was a, like first time i got a coach so i've never really got a coach the last year and so so this last year i'm doing more discipline training so i'm training about i don't know 12 hours a week maybe 13 14 hours a week and what's interesting is um it's a, a sort of source of pride for me is you know being dad i'm almost i'll be 50 in june and so you know i'm able to i'm almost twice as old as most of the people i race with <laughs> and i train about as half as much so it's kind of a source of pride for me and folks like me to um you know kind of be able to do that so about 12 hours a week it's kind of the average awesome yeah i i had just talked to boswell like 20 minutes ago and he was mentioning <laughs> that he rides with you all the time so his question for you was oh, how do you how do you keep the passion for riding? Like you're doing all these things and you're, you're making it work in your schedule. Like, how do you, how do you stay motivated to ride and like push yourself against these kids that are like half of your age? That's so funny. So Ian's a good friend of mine and we actually, gonna, we've been trying to train together all this winter, but you know, he's, he's working, he's a dad, he's doing the same thing. And you know, um, it's really hard for us to find that time, but we're, we're going to supposed to ride next week. But, um, uh, but no, he's, uh, he's a very good, a good friend of mine. Um, and I guess I just forgot your question. So <laughs> how do you keep or how do you keep motivated oh, yeah. to like oh, ride against yeah. these kids that are half your age, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's funny, when I train with Ian, you know, he's the opposite of me right now and he was um the opposite of me before, meaning, you know, five or six years ago I'm sure he was on a training schedule doing all the intervals and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now he's unplugged and five years ago I didn't do any intervals and stuff and now I'm doing all that. So <laughs> so uh it's just funny that how that how that's all worked out there. Yeah. Yeah. He said like, you're somebody he actually looks up to quite a bit because he's like trying to figure out what his life is going to look like now. Like he's a dad, he's got a job. He's like, he's trying to fit it all into his schedule and still ride at a high level. And like, he's like, I'm not looking at pros all that much anymore. Like I'm looking at people like Mike because like they figure out a way to make it work in their lives. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I, I actually enjoy the process of training. Ian knows this, you know, there's nothing more that I like than him and I or, or other folks to just go out and do a, you know, do a really hard workout. It feels good. Um, for me, it's a challenge. I like the, the feeling of accomplishment. 
I like the, I like the training just as much as the racing actually, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's a supportive family, but you know, my kids and my wife, you know, I did a race a week or two ago and embarrassingly, uh, you know, I got a couple hundred bucks uh, for prize money, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> That's awesome. But you know, I brought it, well, I brought it home and I gave it to my kids. I'm like, girls, here's, Here's two hundred dollars, <laughs> and you know, for a nine-year-old, that's like hitting a lottery. Yeah, for real. <laughs> you know, and so they 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 think it's great. You know, I'm making all this money, uh, bike racing. So they're super supportive of it. And my wife's in the background, kind of smiling, you know, because she knows what the what it, what it entails. You know, the equipment, the cost yeah. of travel. <laughs> yeah, the actual but, cost of doing it. Yeah, but you know, that's kind of fun. Give it to the kids, and they they think it's a big deal. Yeah, that's great. What favorite part about like the gravel scene in general? Like, I feel like people lean one way or the other. They lean in a couple different directions, I guess. Whether it's like they enjoy the downhill, they enjoy the technical sections, they enjoy like the road sections that are fat. Like, what what is it that really gets you going about riding, like riding gravel bikes in particular? I like the variety. Um, I like I like technical terrain, but okay. I don't I don't like it when it's sketchy. But I definitely okay. like, you know, I like a, a nice, fast tech section or, you know, gravel section. And it's really brings together that combination of, you know, some skill, you know, some athletic ability um, and, and, and some of that stuff comes together. And uh, it's really fun. And, and you kind of know when you're in that groove and anybody probably feels that, too, when you you kind of feel like you're like you're moving fast over over some rugged terrain. And uh, that's that's the part I like. I, I think about the the gravel stuff in the in events, for example, and then outside of events, I just like the idea that you can just go ride and ride. And I've been doing this for twenty years in our area, and you know my friends and I, and we still go out on any given Sunday, and we do what's called New Road Day, right? Literally, go out and find a new road or a trail or something different. So that's the real kind of cool part is you know it's uh, the variety that we get um, in our area. Yeah. Particular. Yeah, that's awesome. What when you're prepared, like, what does your preparation look like for going into a gravel event, especially one like like Rasputitsa or any of the Vermont classics? I guess, like, what what does the preparation look like? Do you have any tips for people that are listening to this, kind of rolling into their first event weekend? Yeah, you know, one um, go to have fun, right? You, you gotta. Everybody goes in, and I see this in the parking lot. Everybody from the the front folks to the people just finishing, everybody's all kind of super stressed out. And the big one is just relax. You know, most people have they sign up to this, kind of know what to get into, and maybe not. But you know, just trust your instincts, trust the fact that you put in some training, and then relax and have fun. Right? That's you know, that's gonna that's the motto of the day. And you know, some days go well, and you finish, and you're you check off all your goals, right? You know, pre-race goals, you probably have a few of them and, and you can check off all your goals sometimes. And sometimes the goal of you just had to finish and, and that can happen for anybody, right? You get a mechanical or something bad happens and adversity and just push through. And for me, that's one of the big ones that pushing through adversity. I know this is a little bit of tangent, but um, it was one of the races I did a few years ago. And one I'm really happy about, it was an overland race and I was in the lead group and I literally got dropped on a climb and we had 20 miles to go and I just kept going, I never gave up. And then literally a mile or two for the finish, I caught back to the front group, literally <laughs> back from the dead. 
and I ended up getting third in the race. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so just like, you know, literally just never give up. You don't know what's going to happen. And for whatever reason, I was able to catch back up. They all, a few others, you know, had, had uh, burned too many matches and uh, I got lucky, you know. So, so yeah, don't give up. Never yeah. give up. Is there a part in the ride or the race that you're like mentally you're like, oh, this is like, this is the hard part to get to. Cause for me, it's, it's honestly the beginning. Like once I'm through the first, like whatever, 10 miles or something, I'm okay. Like I'm fine. But the first 10, I'm like, I'm dying. I don't feel good. I'm like, I'm cranky half the time. I'm anxious. Like that's the hardest thing for me to get through. But for some people it's like the end never seems to come quick enough. So where are you at on that? I would, I'm in your camp there. You know, these events, you know, the fact that they're so large is kind of cool, but that also brings a level of stress in the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's definitely, I think everybody has this idea of, um, you know, I got to get through the first five or 10 minutes, find my group, find my, find my pace. And then, and then, and then the fun really begins, right? Let's face it. The, the beginning, the starts of these are kind of stressful. Yeah. They feel a little dangerous. Maybe they are a little dangerous, um, but everybody just have a little patience. I think you'll, it'll, it'll sort itself out. And then on the competition side, Every race, you know, for, you know, has a, what's, you know, crux point at the competition end of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Rasputitsa has a, has a few of those, you know, and those are the places where, you know, you want to be paying attention. You want to be relaxed. You want to make sure you got your nutrition right and heart mm-hmm. rate down and, you know, all the, all the little things you can think of. Um, so when, you know, that challenge comes that, you know, you, you're, you're, you're better, you're best position to, you know, do as best, best you can. Yeah. Yeah. The beginning on a lot of these events are like straight up chaos, like trying to get out of whatever it is. Like in Rasputitsa, it's like it's a road start and then it kind of opens up. I I actually feel like Rasputitsa has one of the least stressful starts of like the Vermont gravel events. Like Overland is like a complete shit show when you first start off. It feels like everybody's like completely bottlenecked and like you have a few hundred people just stuffed into this one section and half the people just walking to get through the opening. Like, it's just, it's really funny to see what those starts look like in a lot of these different events because like it's no holds barred for a little bit. Yeah, no, I get to see some of the video. You know, luckily I usually try to stay near the front, but I see some of the videos where, you know, it doesn't take much, you know, if you're outside of the, yeah, I'd say top 25 or 30, I bet the, the chaos begins. Yeah. And the Rasputitsa, it has this like cold downhill start, you know, it has a lot of recipes for problems, but it doesn't really go that way. And I think the way that start works is kind of nice. Um, you know, there's some wide open roads for a while with some hills and kind of, everybody can kind of sort themselves out, you know, the overland course and you're, you've seen it, you know, you kind of get into that bottleneck, um, single track and everybody knows yeah. it's there. Right. And, and everybody's riding above their level at the front, everybody, <laughs> you know, you just, it's just what you do. Yeah, everybody's riding above their level, and then next thing you know, you're you're in a situation that you maybe shouldn't be, and yeah, and then, and then you know, and then things start happening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's always really interesting to see like how people, because like I'm I'm an anxious event guy. I think like whether I'm doing well or I'm in good fitness or not, like I always feel like okay, like I'm not racing in the top ten. So for me, I'm just like I'm gonna get. Through, I'll let everybody that feels like they need to push through right away. I'll let them do their thing and then I'll just like figure out where I belong and I'll pass people if I need to or whatever. And 
that always screws me in the beginning of these events because like then I just end up in the middle of the chaos because I'm not being aggressive enough. But then I also like have this part in my head where I'm like, I don't want to be too aggressive. Like if people are here to be aggressive, that's fine too. I'm just out here to do like and have some fun. I bet there's a fine there's a fine line there, right? Because you know you you gotta be aggressive enough so you don't blow right. up. You, you know you get ahead, but then and I've seen this, you know. Uh, and I've done it, you know, everybody, you blow up and then that's like, that's the worst, you know, you, you kind of, cause you know, you did, Oh yeah. you know, you're going backwards and you, you kind of, from there, you're kind of maybe feeling not as great about what you're doing and how you're doing. And so yeah. the idea of starting off a little bit slower, I think, and passing people, I know some friends that do that. And I think at the end, they feel pretty good about where they finish. And I don't, you know, over the course of two, three hours, losing a minute or two, or cause you think it's a long time. You think you're losing so much time right yeah and you go back and you look like i've done it i have a mechanical and you end you finish the race and you're like man i lost like two minutes three minutes doing this and you go back and look at your strava file or your or whatever and you're like oh it was 33 seconds that felt like a long time yeah so it feels worse than it probably is but um yeah 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 and a lot of times these events you like you finish and like the next person is like either two seconds away from you or like five minutes away from you, you know? So it's like there, there becomes pretty big gaps sometimes in these things. Yeah. And if you're in the front, you you, you don't really know, you know, whether you're chasing somebody or being chased, it really forces you to push hard all the way to the end. Cause you oftentimes have no idea if someone's just around the corner or if someone's catching you or if you're catching someone, right? So that's that point of just never give up. You got to push it all the way to the, all the way to the finish is sort of the, the motto. Yeah. Yeah. And that climb like up to Burke, basically like up to where the finish line is, is crazy too. Cause like when the pro category is finishing, like the front guys are finishing, it's like the people that did the shorter ride are also starting to finish. So like, you have no idea who you're racing anymore. You're just like, this, this is it. Like this is the final and it sucks. Like that climb is not that fun to finish. Like it is fun once you get to the very top, but like the bottom of that thing, looking up, you're just like, Oh, cool cool this is yeah this is not what i needed right now no it's good and uh you know whether you whether you're long course short course and you kind of get in there you know nobody's really going that much difference in speed actually you know so you yeah. look up there and it's hard to tell who's in your race and we've all done this you know you uh, at least uh, at least i know i have you catch someone you're thinking like oh i just caught somebody and you get up and you're like nope that was the different event or you know the, the, the different race and <laughs> And then you kind of, um, you know, you feel a little disappointed because you put all the effort in you for, for almost nothing. But yeah, yeah, but every now and then you catch somebody and and uh, then it pays off. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. Well, Mike, this has been awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time, taking time out of vacation to chat with me. Um, and uh, and I hope to see you at the event. Yeah, I'm planning to be there. And it's funny you talk to Ian. I'll, uh, I'm going to chat with him another another day or two. We'll uh we're going to go out and do a pre-ride, I think, here in another week or two and check it out. So looking forward nice. to it. And uh, Thanks for your time. This is my first podcast, and it was kind of fun to, <laughs> fun to chat with you. So, yeah. Everybody, why don't you first introduce yourselves? Let's just kind of get people an idea of who you are, what you do at Rasputitsa, and we can kind of go from there. Heidi, why don't you start? Sure. My name is Heidi Myers. I'm co-founder of Rasputitsa. Um, primarily handle marketing and partnerships and social media, but also have been known to throw my hand in at changing toilet paper and porta potties on the day of the race. I love that. Anthony, what about you? Uh, Anthony Mocha. I'm um, co-founder with Heidi 
for Raspatitsa. Uh, I I primarily handle course course marking, um, you know, volunteer setup for everything that has to do with course stuff and take orders from Heidi. <laughs> Jeff, go ahead. Uh, Jeff Price, um, design and creative uh, spitball with Heidi and Anthony on all things under the sun. Um, and uh, I ride my bike sometimes too. <laughs> That's a nice, a nice add-on. Um, let me ask you guys this. When, when did the event start? How did it get started? Where, like, obviously I kind of know the background, but I think for people listening for the first time or going into their first event, it's probably a good idea to give them a little bit on how this whole thing started and why it started. Anthony? Um, so Raspatitsa started spring of 2014. Uh, it was the second event that Heidi and I had started together, first being a race called the Dirty 40, which took place in the fall. Uh, and we we had a, a fun event in the fall, and we just, I think Heidi pitched it of let's try something in the spring. And so there was a little bit more of an opening as far as events and everything going at that point. Um, and, and that's how it kind of started. It started actually in Newport and not in Burke. And after a year in Newport, we, we moved the race down to Burke. And from there, it's, uh, Heidi's kind of made it blow up on all her marketing. And it is what it is today. That's awesome. Uh, what... What was the idea behind the event? Why why did you guys feel it was necessary to have a gravel event like this, and especially like a spring classic style thing? I wish we had like a really great answer for this. Um, I think we just really had fun doing the fall event, the Dirty 40, and we just wanted another piece of the pie. Um, and spring was kind of this open area where no one was really, um, I mean, ski, you know, your skis are hung up. Your bike might not be off the rack yet. Um, there's nothing else on the calendar that we had to compete with because we've made it a priority throughout our history to not really compete with other bike events in general. Um, and spring had this like huge unknown factor. Yeah. What obviously one of the bigger challenges or benefits to this event is the fact that the weather in Burke at that time of year is always all over the place. Like, I mean, you see everything from snow, sleet, sunny days, and I guess everything in between. So how does that present a challenge for you all as you're trying to make this event happen and go through? And is there a point when you're like, this is too, this is too bad. Like we're probably not going to do this right now, or we're going to postpone to this point. Uh, well, I don't think that we've gotten to that point of we should postpone. Uh, there's, there's always a couple factors, no matter like where we are, uh, April 15th being the last day of snowmobile season. Okay. So that can, that can actually pose a problem for our course and it had, it did, it did in the past, uh, last year we pushed the race to later April because of COVID. And I think, I can't even tell you that, Heidi could tell you the date of the first race. And I feel like it was earlier April and we played with earlier April and got lucky in weather where snowmobile season was closed because we definitely used trails that were 
snowmobile trails. Um, but April 29th became kind of, it was, it was a nice date for us. It worked well. Uh, our kids are in school. So April vacation has always been, I know there was years like we were at the beginning of April vacation and you know, one of us is going to take vacation heads out right away. So it's like, we try and balance that home, you know, work, work life thing with every other factor that we have for the date. Uh, but you also have uh, in Vermont, we had, uh, there was, there was a maple ride Vermont Overland once hosted. We didn't want to compete with them. And then there was muddy onion that has been right around the same weekend as us either before or after trying not to compete with each other. And then Perry to Ancaster up in Canada has been um, another race that takes place right around that same time. I think it's the same weekend, Heidi, maybe, you know, um, yeah, but it, it, it's a, it is a sweet spot in a unique way that we embrace the unknown. Yeah. So uh, whether it's rain, snow, or, you know, 70 degrees and sunny, uh, it, it's just, it's a great day. Yeah. Have people it, go ahead. It's it's also like so fitting for just knowing the Anthony and Heidi and just knowing like the premise of everything because it's non-traditional. It's uh, you you can expect the unexpected and the fun of it is the fact that it could be so great and like super sunny or it could be the most miserable experience ever. Yeah. <laughs> in, in like the best way and I don't love the type two fun kind of like adage of what it is. But I mean, literally you have this built up energy that's kind of stuck all winter in New England from just having cabin fever and riding your bike on the trainer. And then all of a sudden getting like this awesome community of people together that it's kind of like everyone comes out of the woodwork and you get to like see people in person. And that was really evident last year. Yeah. I was like, wow, we get to, hang out with everybody yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've had this like desire to have our inboxes full of tire size questions um... <laughs> yeah i mean that was one of my questions actually for somebody else that we had on this channel like it was like what are you what are you running for time like there's no good answer until like the day before it feels like and even then it's so varied that it doesn't really matter yeah there's always this point like in april that it's like do we open up this question on social like do we go for it is it too early it's probably a good hack for engagement on social because everybody's got super polarizing opinions about things like tire width tire size and tire pressure tire pressure is the one that gets me because everybody like telling people oh you should just do what you feel like is best for you isn't what they want to hear they want to hear like a specific number that <laughs> that's going to solve all their problems for the event to kind of put their mind at ease it's so weird too right because that's like also the focal point and then they might be the individual that shows up in shorts when yeah it's about <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah it's really interesting it's it's funny because a lot of times first timers are the ones that are thinking about this all the time like I think eventually you get to the point where you just have to go out and just do it right and get some experience and kind of go out and just try the thing and kind of get 
what you like out of the event, whether it comes to tire pressure, or it just comes to the bike that you bring and the style of riding that you do. Like, I just, I don't think, you know, until you know. Yeah. I think we actually literally responded one year, like our opinion on tire size and pressure is that yes, you need tires. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it, it's the obvious things, right? Like that's, and honestly, that's the best advice that you should give. And I think that makes people feel in a way probably makes them feel very light and like, okay, this isn't so serious. And I think that's probably a good thing as well. Yeah. Um, how many newcomers do you guys get year to year? I mean, we used to be better at tracking this. Now that we're like over 1,500, I think like our data stats are a little bit less um, on the top of our mind and safety and getting riders through is, takes more precedent. Um, but a good chunk. Like, and I think we, um, we always keep that in mind. I think Anthony and I had a conversation even yesterday that like we always have to prepare for the person that isn't um, a repeat rider and what that experience looks like um and recognize that not everyone's going to want to do the Rasputiza every year for the rest of their lives so we'll see riders come and go and we need to respect that and offer new things to get them to come back but um you know not expect not put our business plan um on 100 percent return rate yeah yeah, for sure. What do you, do you all have advice for somebody like listening to this, that it is their first year? Like what, what should they do? What should they expect? Like, I feel like, and even myself, like, uh, you know, I've done a bunch of gravel events and every time I go to a new one, I'm like filled with anxiety about what the thing is going to be like for some reason, like that part doesn't get old. So what, what should people expect if it is year one for them? Jeff. Answer this one because we haven't, we've never ridden our races. So this is, we can't answer <laughs> Oh, um, what should people expect? Um, I, I think that feeling Adam of nervousness and butterflies comes from like that raw first experience. And hopefully what is experienced from someone new is that, that edge doesn't come from the feeling like you need a certain result or the feeling like you need to hit X achievement. Mm -hmm. um, it, it like that first feeling of seeing the marquee sign, getting up to the hotel, getting in the reg um, registration and like all of that, hopefully that vibe and that energy is kind of alleviates a little bit of that being able to be like, yeah, I'll have a beer before, you know, on, on Friday night. Okay. or um, just kind of like catching up with people it it for sure can be something that all washes away the morning of right at the start line to where you want to perform and you want to see how well you can do um but that edge of like the aggro roadie or the seriousness <clears throat> is all kind of i feel like washed away in the mud a little bit yeah <laughs> quickly there's no there's no like second thought once you're you know, hitting Kirby and starting the first climb or, 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 you know, feeling that like peanut butter mud mold below you. It's like, mm -hmm. it, it all kind of like, um, becomes pretty, pretty fun. And you, you kind of, I think, take a step back in perspective. 
I think yeah. it's the lowest common denominator too. Correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony and Jeff, but I don't think we've ever like not had anyone finish that didn't pull out on their own accord. Like we've never cut anybody off because of time. Correct. So there's that factor. So you will get through. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was something I've told racers since like 2014 is like, regardless of where you place in the event, the beer and the food and the celebration at the finish line is the same. So hmm. if you come back in a broom wagon, if you come back pushing your bike, if you come back um, in any capacity, those things don't change. Um, yeah. The beer's just as cold for you. The food is just as good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that always kind of takes some pressure off of people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, people want to do as well as they can, but I think the the vibe at the event, especially like even at start time, is so good, and there's such a sense of camaraderie. I think during the event that it does kind of take a little bit of the pressure off people to like go out there and worry about the performance at, like aspect of it. There's very few people. I guess there's a good chunk of people, but there's not that many people there that <clears throat> are like you know making this a career for themselves. You know what I mean? So, like, I think for the majority of people, it's to go out there and have fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and the hope would be that, you know, you can, you know, ex like we said, I said before, like, you, you know, you can have the best laid plans. And to expect the unexpected is probably the best plan. Yeah. Like, and And just being kind of able to roll with adversity or the fact that, like, Oh, I didn't like need to adjust everything the night before on my bike, like and 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 figure out that I have no brakes or yeah. my chain <laughs> last leg. Um, we'll see if it holds. Or you know, it you can always make those adjustments again for the next year, and that could be the wrong adjustment. Yeah, and this yeah, mentality sure. goes for us as organizers too. I think we've commonly said to each other like when this stops being fun let's just get out of it let's not do this out of like we got to do Rasputitsa again this year like we have fun doing it when that's lost I think the magic will be lost so we're very cognitive of like when that line happens when it becomes more business than fun for us like is it worth kicking it to the curb yeah and I imagine it's still fun for all of you Still yeah, most days. <laughs> yeah. Most days, okay. Yeah, I mean it's hard, right? Like you're you're organizing an event of what eighteen hundred people now or something like that. Like there's there's a ton of participants and there's a lot of factors that go into it. Is there something for you all being involved on the back end that you find to be the most difficult part of it? I think. I mean, we we listen a, a lot. We take, we pose questions on social media a lot and listen to responses. Like whenever there's a problem, we pick up the phone and talk to racers and hear what they have to say. Um, I think we're probably like, we love this race and we love people and we're probably um, sometimes wanting to, to please everybody, which is pretty impossible. I think it is impossible. Um, but I think like we care. And so sometimes just like caring so much that like any piece of feedback feels upsetting to us. Like sometimes it's, sometimes it's easier to shrug it off than others, but 
it comes from a good place. Yeah, for sure. Is has anybody ever gotten lost at this event? I feel like that's a thing that people worry about at gravel events, like just like getting lost in the woods and being by themselves, especially on some of these like class four roads where every, where the gap starts to widen between people and you're like, oh shit, like I'm, it's pretty much just me here. Is that, has that happened? And is that a concern ever for you all? Well, there was this one year <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that may have caused a little bit of an extra a little bit of an extra loop for some people um, but Heidi handled it quite well <laughs> we rebounded uh, what happened well the, the race entered the woods <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what happened uh, we went in the woods and some pieces weren't marked well enough and some people went that way and some people went that way so it just you know came part of a mess while on the road though we try and do a really really good job about marking the course and not relying on gps and that's that is hard because people do who are not involved with our event tend to mess with signs i mean any race organizer will tell you that that when you when you mark a course like you got to check it over and over again and you can't we, we heidi and i used to mark the course the night before with that fear but now we can't do that so it's just a matter of like having somebody go out and recheck the course a couple times and it has to be done so we do it thursday and then friday we check it again and saturday morning it's all checked again before the race begins also that someone doesn't move aside flip a sign turn it everything yes but we do have we do have lead cars um we have support vehicles that all know the course so they know if something is off yeah yeah it's got to be good yeah. to have like a little system of checks and balances especially when you're just kind of sending people out there yeah it's it becomes it's kind of a very you know, high anxiety for, for three days to making sure like everything is in place. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I can't even imagine like uh, that's a lot of people to be responsible for in a sense for, you know, for a weekend. There's, there's very little cell service. So yeah. like if you get a call, <laughs> if something happens and somebody gets lost, you know, it's not like you can, you can, you know, turn your phone on and call somebody. It's all right. I'm going to head South. Which way is South? So it, it, it's, there's a lot of anxiety in this. Um, it's gotten better. The very first Rasputitsa, I think Heidi hit the anxiety level before she even, <laughs> before the race even started. Um, but we used to, yeah, I, Anthony and I used to actually have like little bickering fights and like hang up on each other, like during race day. And like we, <laughs> early on set this, like, okay, anything that said, or felt or expressed on race day, like let's let it go and race day's over and not ruin it. <laughs> it's it's got to be difficult sometimes, like because you're in a super high stress environment for what it is, right? Like, yeah, you're creating a fun event for everybody, but you want it to all be done right. You want everything to 
to go the way it should. And there's just so many pieces to it that are out of your control. And like, we're all human, like something gets, something small gets missed and it turns into a big thing on the day of the race. Like it's, it's a stressful part of the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm particularly the stressful part of the whole deal, but um, <laughs> Anthony and Jeff do a good job to keep me in mind. <laughs> what is it? What is it that causes you so much stress? Uh, I don't know. I think it's just it's fire fun. festival. Yeah, <laughs> watching documentaries in the fire. Festival. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. I never even thought about that, like from a from an organizer perspective. Um, yeah, we've had this long running joke that, like, if all things go bad, we just serve a piece of bread and we're out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. What? Why Burke as a place to kind of host this event? Um. I think one was proximity to us where we live. Uh, like I said, the first year was in, in Newport, which is a town that I live in and five minutes North of Heidi. So it was just, it was, we both worked here. It was easy. Um, and you know, just convenience as far as that was concerned, as far as destination, uh, there, you know, the whole, the whole start of the event was a, you know, building on some type of story and Heidi, Heidi was able to like dive into the history of the area and create a good story with, with Rasputitsa. Um, but Burke became, it, we were, we were very, um, we came very close with Kingdom Trails in the beginning and in the, in the influence in the infancy of this whole event. And when we decided to move to Burke, it was really because of that relationship we had that we knew we had the support and we could rely on some people to help us. Uh, we outgrew kind of the footprint we had there and, and moved around within Burke, but it, it's a good destination for some, some great roads and good riding and um, gives back to our, still gives back to one of our, our um, main ideas and that's community and keeping things into our community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we have sure. we have looked around for other hosting options, but um, I just want to give thanks to Burke Mountain because they've been a really great partner and just kind of let us do what we want to do and kind of hand us the keys to the car to drive um, and support that. Um, like they're never like kiboshing ideas or you know really putting up red red tape around anything. Um, they, they kind of just go along with what craziness we bring. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from a riding perspective, like last year, for example, like a lot of the course, you can see Burke Mountain kind of in the background. It's like a nice little carrot to have as a rider to like be able to see where your final destination roughly is. Like it, it kind of gives you a little mm -hmm. bit of a grounding feeling. And or I think terrifying. that part's really nice. Yeah. Or you're like, oh shit, like that's, you know, very far, like very far. <laughs> and I gotta, I gotta go up there. I gotta get up to that. Yeah. That part, I feel like at least for me at that point, it wasn't in my mind. Cause it looks like you're a lot closer to level with the mountain than you actually are from that distance. So like, I yeah. actually looked at it as a nice little, like, okay, like it's not that bad 
everything's going to be fine. And then once you get on that final climb, you're like, okay, this is, this is horrible. Like I hate this, <laughs> but I got to say like from a finish perspective, it's actually a really cool place to finish an event, like to finish on a climb like that. It's very motivating to like have people like all along the last little bit of that. And just have this like grind to finish this thing out. It's very like, it's a very fulfilling ending, I think, to the event. Mm. How Adam, on, on in your camp, like from what you do all winter long to train, like I feel like it's like now in slush cup season. Yeah. And then like jumping in, I feel like so many people are like, get me out of here, go, let's go south. I mean, yeah. Even even like ECC collegiate is all everything happening in this southern part of New England, if not even further. But what about from your perspective? From from like the event overall or the timing? Or yeah, what just that mean? transition for you for how much you do like winter sports to then the spring and then like your experience with the event. Like it's it's really funny. Like by this point in the year, I people are probably going to get mad at me for saying this, but I'm like totally over skiing. Like I'm uh, by this point, you know, I've been on the road a bunch. You know, I'm lucky enough to get to go travel and see all these places and go skiing and whatever, but. It might look really good on the internet, but you get so burnt on like lugging your skis through an airport and like just like chasing powder days and like just smoking yourself into oblivion, like especially the legs, you know. And I think when this event comes around for me, it's very much like a red flag that like when I see it on my calendar in April, it's like a sign that I should be riding my bike and should start switching over to that mindset. And I think. For me, it's really nice because I know I want to be right. Like I knew two weeks ago that I was over going skiing. Like I'm still going to ski a couple more times, but like it's not, I don't have that same, like I need to go every single day. Like I pretty much know where I'm at for the season and, and thinking about it as like a nice little thing to get to and be like, all right, this is when the season kind of starts for me is actually, I don't know. It's, it's very cool. And, and I'm sure for a lot of people too, like the like oh shit moment of I didn't bring my bike in to any X Y Z local shop. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, for sure. Yeah. For sure, it's that, and it's like oh maybe I should go for like a leisurely jaunt around town or something before this event. That's always what I like kind of trick myself into doing is thinking that I'll be okay if I don't ride at all up until the event, and then I'm very much not okay without riding at all like i'm like even last year like i was struggling i was not i was like oh it'll be fine it'll be fine i'll get a long ride in this weekend and that's like it's like one of those promises you make to yourself that you never end up keeping just like keep pushing it off for more important things to do it so yeah that's kind of how it went for me um (laughs) what what is the event schedule like for the weekend? So assuming people come up Friday or something like that, what is, what does their weekend look like? Yeah. So, uh, things kick off with the pride rides, uh, Vermont sponsored pride ride at their church. Um, Friday at three, we have a drag entertainer emoji nightmare. Um, kind of, leading that celebration and Leah Davison will be at that event. Um, so that runs about three to five at five o'clock. Everyone can transition over or arrive to the Burke mountain hotel for the welcome party presented by Dilbo. 
Um, we have a band called The Pop Disaster coming to town, which does like 80s, uh, 90s alternative, like Blink-182, Green Day type throwbacks. Um, there's an expo. There's uh, art gallery. There's a photo booth with a salon on site to get you judged for that shoot. Um, um, there's food trucks on site. Um, there's lots happening there. Then Saturday morning, the first race takes off at 8 a.m. So that's not the uh, 8.30 is, no, 9 is the 70K and 9.30 is the 40K. Okay. Um, and then finish line celebration and podium ceremony is at three, is, is all day. We anticipate the first riders through it around 11, I think is pretty typical. Mm -hmm. um, and then going through the whole afternoon, uh, podium ceremony at three. Um, and then six o'clock Saturday night, we added a second party this year, um, which is brunch themed. So the first 100 people to show up in grunge attire, which isn't really a stretch for most Vermonters. <laughs> um, get some free swag and there's a Pearl Jam cover band on site there and the Wildflower Inn where who's hosting the party has really done a tremendous job of um, researching like 90s food that they'll have on site and stuff like that. Um, and then Sunday morning, there's a recovery ride headed out of the orange rind that's led by Georgia Gould. Um, and anything in between all of that is the weekend. Awesome. What favorite part of the weekend for you all? Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> Just passing out of the couch. <laughs> my, my favorite part and what always takes my breath away is, is the start. Like, yeah. I think just seeing, like, that massive bike um, all headed out onto the road, and that takes, like, multiple minutes to, like, pass your vision, um, it always just leaves chills up and down my spine. What about for you? I think... Oh, go ahead, Anthony. Go ahead. I was going to say the same thing with, with Heidi. Like, to me, like, that's when anxiety probably gets lifted. As soon yeah, as yeah. like once they're out, because you know, and I don't know, there's still a lot of anxiety with them being out on course, but it's right there. It's like, all right, now we're in it. It's that it's that pre race, you know, yeah. pre race poop, right? You gotta yeah. <laughs> get it out of your system, and it's good. So, yeah, I love the start, and I have I share the same, but I think the one unique component. To Rasputitsa that you would have extreme FOMO from is if you didn't come Friday night. Yeah. There is something unique about that, like just walking up, even if you show up at like seven or eight, but like if if you did the typical, like I'm just going to show up morning of, roll up to the start, go, and then be, be out at whatever when I'm done, I feel like you miss the bookends that make, that kind of bring the flavor out. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm always surprised like great weather or bad weather, how many people kind of just stick around after, um, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm going to like say my favorite is the, the bookends, like the registration and the aftermath. 
Yeah. I also love all the inbox questions on tire size. So I encourage anybody listening to this to shoot us your questions on tire size. We have one. <laughs> Gearing too, because we do know we oh, do yeah. know your we do know your fitness level. So I can help you with your gearing. Has one of the things I like about this event a lot is the fact that yes, it's inclusive, like very inclusive from a human perspective, but gear wise, like you see all kinds of people showing up on all kinds of different bikes, like with all kinds of different intentions for what they want to get out of their ride. Like there was quite a few people I feel like last year on tandems, you know, and just cruising along, like having the time of their lives. And then you see everything from people on like high end race bikes to full suspension mountain bikes. So like what, how do you guys feel about that part of it? Is there something that you think works better than other, or is it just like a run what you brung type situation? That's the best part of it. I think, I think it was 2018, maybe 2019 that Lindsay Warner showed up on a recumbent bike because she had an injury. Um, like those are the stories that like live in your mind and like seed themselves. Um, like I can recall like, crazy bikes I've seen or um, pieces like that more than I can recall, like who podiumed on what year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think cycling is, is really, um, it's an expensive sport and it's cost prohibitive. And that, that is the like gatekeeper of, inclusivity right so like if we yeah. don't address those things and we don't you know welcome all bikes and um like that's the first step towards like, yeah. a more inclusive world yeah exactly yeah i think there's there's also something very like fluid about what gravel is and what a gravel bike even is like at its core it's like you have a road bike mixed with a mountain bike and for like that opens up so many doors for people as to like what they can go ride what they feel comfortable riding it's especially over the last decade has become this very popular category of cycling but at the end of the day there's like quite a bit of nuance i guess between the categories but they're so similar in a lot of ways that like people can actually feel pretty comfortable showing up with whatever and feel like they'll be able to make it out of most things and that i think that becomes part of the fun too is like yeah if you show up with a road bike with 23s on in slicks like a class four road is going to be miserable but it'll be a lot of fun trying to navigate that thing through if you show up on a full suspension some of those like punchy steep climbs are going to be a little difficult but again navigating that i think is part of the challenge of what makes gravel gravel um and that's mm -hmm. what like prevents it from becoming like this full-on road race yeah and i think the to piggyback off that a little adam is you the quirkiness of what people show up with and like bring to the start line mirrors the quirkiness of like yeah this will work and and what you see on course and support from the community like whether or not like they're going to come cheer and support at the end of their driveway. And you're like seeing people cheer and bringing like pots and pans, spray painted plywood or like cookies, whiskey, whatever on the side of the road, it kind of all <laughs> melds together as like the, the weirdness of what people are riding is also the weirdness of what you might see on, yeah. on course from like 
yeah, this will work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still getting the job done. Um, and that's, that's pretty fun. Like the, the amount of the community support people at the end of the driveway is like also such a like fun component. Yeah, for sure. Is, and this is kind of the last thing I have for you all. Is there something that you hope people take away from the weekend? Right. I think there's, you want everybody to have a good time, but is there something that you hope, whether it's a first timer or someone that's done it a bunch of times that they bring back out of this event? I mean, you, you hope everybody has a good time in that it's, especially for like beginners, it's a springboard in that just going to ride your bike is a great day. Um, you know, that's 99% of the people who are coming are not professionals. So that's obviously our, our, our focus is on all of them and making sure they had a good time and they want to come back. But if they don't come back, at least they go do something else. They do another one and they have a good time. Hmm. Yeah, I like that answer. I think that's that's one of the things that for me was so exciting about this event is that it does very much feel like a springboard. It feels like it opens you up to the rest of the Vermont gravel events. It feels like it opens you up to gravel in general. And it kind of gives people a good sampling of what this whole thing is about too i think whether they intended for that or not like if they just thought they were signing up for a race i think they they come home with a lot more than just that mm -hmm. um what about i think like i don't think i've always felt welcomed or accepted in the cycling industry if you want to dive into that drama you should visit our instagram page um, <laughs> But I think so because of that, I, I think I just want everybody to leave feeling like they belong in cycling and that they're, that they're, they're loved for who, who they are and what they bring to that at Rasputitsa. And if that is, as Anthony put, like a springboard for them to, you know, not come back to Rasputitsa and go to other events, like that's a success. For sure. Jeff, what about you? Um, I think <clears throat> touching on what we spoke about a little bit earlier, that anxiety or nervousness when you roll up to the start line, just like the snowball effect of is that in your own head and what you build that up to be kind of how that what, what I want people to take away is that transformation of hopefully a positive experience and kind of either adversity or um, kind of overcoming and or transformation into what I thought and what I, what I perceived is much different than my experience. And I think that's mirrored in a lot of what we try to do, um, not only at the event, but in planning and inclusion and just working with people in the community. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always refreshing to have that like sense of like energy and, and kind of enthusiasm when you, when you walk away from the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you guys for the time. This has been great. Um, I'm going to include a bunch of different like resources and like there's a few really good articles about the event too, like that all be in the show notes for people. Um, the Radivist in particular had a really good one from last year that that was great. Do you guys have anything that you would like people to look at ahead of time, like information that they should have that they're not going to get? Maybe they're showing up Saturday as opposed to Friday night. Like... Is there a place that they should go to get any more additional information or 
are they just figuring it out when they get there? Uh, we're in the process of sending out the rider's guide, the, all the okay. riders, and that information will be on our website um, by the yeah by the end of this week. Um, awesome. So those are good resources. Um, I also think one of the best pieces that we've published in this really good mindset for coming into town, just because remember that 1,800 cyclists is more than the population of the three towns that we have. <laughs> Um, we, we posted a piece, um, on our social, on our Instagram about coming as a friend, not a tourist. Yeah. <clears throat> as much as we can, like, make that mindset, um, and then through people's heads, um, it's really important. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. Well, thank you guys. 